Hello, and welcome to another great episode of Story Screen Presents, a very special episode. It's our annual event uh, where I try to sneak in as many uh, references to the 1991 American comedy drama Fried Green Tomatoes, directed by John Avnet, as much as I can. We'll see how we do. Uh, this is Story Screen's Best of 2020 Special Edition Super Deluxe episode. I am uh, going to be uh, kind of, sort of, a- attempting to host uh, this kind of amazing collage of opinions and criticisms and spicy, spicy takes. Uh, we're going to be talking about all of our favorite movies of 2020. Uh, just a heads up here when you're listening to this, uh, you, if at any time you want more on this uh, from all of us or individuals, you can go on over to storiescreenbeacon.com, check out all of our lists over there, as well as a couple other lists for people who are not on this podcast. Um, but let's go around real quick and we'll introduce everybody here and we will uh, lay out the groundwork for what we're doing and we'll we'll start having some fun. Uh, so first off, I am uh, joined today by... Diana DeMiro. All right. <laughs> Bernadette Gorman-White. As well as... Robbie Bebe Anderson. And, of course, my favorite Kalajewski brother. Who's going to who's gonna blink first here? <laughs> Making us pick favorites. On three, Jeremy. One, oh, two, three. Just, yeah, say it at the same Kalajewski. time. <laughs> Jack and Jeremy Kalajewski. It's a lot harder to do this brothers. when we're not Great. in the same room. You can't just look at us to do this. It I think that right. we are still on uh, <laughs> digital satellite, honing on into Gotham News, demanding Batman live from New York. <laughs> it's Story Screen Beacon. <laughs> uh, so, with War of the Worlds. <laughs> See, Jeremy's always got to sneak in. 2020 was the Back. year of Jeremy's Orson Welles every, every impersonation. Movie he had to try it out. <laughs> <laughs> every movie. Well, luckily Orson Welles was in every movie on the list we're about That's true. to talk and about. And he was on every podcast. Except Mank. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't in Mank. That was an actor. Um, so we are going to be talking about 12 movies all throughout uh, this episode. Each of us, there's six of us here. Uh, welcome Jeremy Kalajewski, who has not been on uh, the previous uh, best of year episodes because he's a big schoolboy. No longer. Um, and we never invited him. Woohoo! No longer schoolboy, and he invited himself. So <laughs> here yeah. we are. Technically, I I invited him. Welcome. Well, okay, I, I figured there was some shady like stock market mm-hmm. manipulation going on under effort. there, but it's yep. okay. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. Uh, so we're gonna be everybody's gonna be taking turns. Each person has picked uh, two movies. Um, and uh, should I list what the movies are up front? No, let's have a surprise. Here, yeah. We'll just kind of go as it goes. So we're going to be attempting to uh, talk as non-spoilery as possible. However, if in our conversations we do want to kind of try and get a little bit specific, uh, we all know to kind of like mark that up real quick up front and see stuff. But uh, there will also be a list of all of the movies down in the description of this episode. So if you want to see what we're all talking about, you can... Uh, Jump on down there and check that out. Uh, other than that, I say uh, let, let's uh, let's start kicking this off. Huh? Anybody else have anything? Any other table setting that we should get? Nah, man, you did it and all. Movies. No? All right. Well, let's talk about movies. Jeremy, your first movie that you wanted to talk about. What is it and why? It is the 2020 smash hit uh, Possessor, directed by Brandon Cronenberg, son of David. Um. 
uh, where where to start with with Possessor. It is a uh, sh- should I should I like say like what it is first, or should I just just go on with just what I like about it? Why? I- yeah, let's. Do, how about you do like a uh, twenty-eight sentence plot description minimum, and, and then just we'll just go open from that there. Wikipedia and just go ahead and, and read that <laughs> aloud. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's basically about a lady who works for a shady government. Uh, not a shady government. She works for like a shady corporation where uh, she uses this machine to quite literally possess other people she like they like kidnap the bodies and they hop into these bodies to use for uh, assassinations and that's the movie the, the, yeah that's 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 pretty much sounds cool right there and um it's it's a it's a stunning piece of uh of genre work it's a great piece of science fiction a great piece of uh horror um Brandon Cronenberg has uh, the the inevitable task of being compared to his father, who is a, a legendary uh, director in the, in the in the horror space, in the drama space, in the science fiction space, um, and also a legendary Canadian. Um, and uh, I this this movie like not only lives up to his uh, father's legacy, but it 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 really establishes and cements Brandon Cronenberg as like his as his own like unique vision. It's um it's 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 such a nasty piece of techno thriller fiction and I feel I feel like we haven't gotten like a a really like proper properly uh good techno thriller to really like sink our teeth into for a while that wasn't Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I mean like like an original piece of uh of of techno thriller and it's a and it's a genre that i've uh i've missed and it's like this is such a a great uh a great return to form for that and um it's just it looks it looks stunning it's got terrific visuals um a great central performance by uh andrea riseborough uh, and, and as well as um christopher abbott who plays the possessed and um and it's and it's got a lot of great themes to sink your teeth into like um losing your identity to corporate greed and yeah it's just it's just a it's just a hell of a movie it, it seems like in 2020 um the horror genre has hasn't really stopped as much as uh as other genres has have um you know, like our big blockbusters, we're not really seeing too much of those this this past year. All the uh, all the companies want to hold them back, but it seems like horror as uh, has has still prospered thanks to um, thanks to video on demand and and services like like Netflix and Hulu and Shutter and whatnot. And um, as far as far as that all goes, I I think that Possessor like rises above all those in. In my opinion, I'm I'm grateful that that we got this uh we got this movie at all the last year. This se- this movie like seems too good. It's it seems like the kind of movie that they would they would hold back so people could see it in the theater. I wish I could see it in the theater. In a lot of ways, I think th- these more I would call Possessor more of like somewhat niche horror, and I think there are a lot of really good kind of niche horror movies that came out this year, and those movies often I think usually do better 
on VOD than they do really in like the mainstream. Besides something like sure. maybe Invisible Man, which I, I think snuck in right before everything kind of shut down and, sure. and was more that like mainstream horror. But, but it's always been that way, kind of with like, you know, VHS and cult classics and stuff like that. I think Possessor kind of slips in right into that sort of lane, you know? Sure, but th- but that being said, this is this is one more than 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 any other movie that I watched. Um, this is one that I really wished I I saw on the big screen with the full crowd. For sure. Just, so I could just see all the all the people wigging out and freaking out at all the reactions of all the yeah and, uh, of all the <laughs> it's gross twists and turns this movie takes. during the like particularly creepy trippy parts that would have been, been cool awesome on the big screen because they were scary enough on the small yeah. screen. <laughs> There's also a, a moment of uh, with a um, an, an object that shouldn't be used for what it is uh, that oh, really got me. God. Uh, and I I fancy myself a pretty I'm a pretty big tough boy um, when it comes to all things generally, but specifically horror movies. Uh, they very rarely like get me. And there's a couple horror movies this year, like His House as well, uh, got me a couple times. But in Possessor specifically, there's a moment in it that I was just like, well, well, okay, all right, that is brutal. I don't, okay, I like yeah, it, but I don't. It's a particularly nasty movie, and it is not for the, uh, not for the faint of hearts, as cliche as that sounds, but I think a, it, is, you, it is well worth, well worth it, everybody's time. You spoke to it in your list, um, in the write-up of your list well, Jeremy, when you said that, you know, I, and I, I touched on this too in my list, like, Brandon Cronenberg definitely had his work cut out for him with like playing in this kind of genre space that his father obviously is a legend in, you know, especially in kind of like the sort of like gross out practical effects sort of techno thriller horror sort of thing. Um, But I think you said this well, like he 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 really, I think, with this movie kind of proved that he can not only go toe to toe with the, with his father's work, but even like carve out his own sort of niche and, and surpass it in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And this is only his second movie, which is that's crazy. crazy. And, at, and at that point, I think David Cronenberg's second movie was, um, was it rabid? Yeah. This movie is better than rabid. I can say that rabid is cool, but I, yeah, but it's not, it's not quite the face melter that, that no. possessor already is. <laughs> Certainly not. Right. I also wanted to, you were mentioning the acting in the film, and I was just blown away by Christopher Abbott's ability to act like Andrea Reesborough. Like, it really does seem like she is in his body acting through him. It was a phenomenal job by both of them, but I was particularly taken by Christopher Abbott's portrayal of that character. I was very impressed. Yeah, he's a good boy. He was, I mean, we we all gave him a lot of love with um, It Comes at Night. A few years ago, and he was also in uh, Black yeah. Bear this year with Aubrey he's good Plaza. In that. He's really good in that too. Yeah, he's it's good. It's just he's a uh, he can. He act was not in well. Game of Thrones. That's a different man. <laughs> I've never thought that he no. looks like that guy, but yeah, I can totally see the comparison. Oh my god! I was like, wait a second. <laughs> well, no, we're gonna find out that Christopher Abbott's greatest performance is that he. He possessed, performed as the guy who we think <laughs> right. is playing. Young Jon Snow. 
What's that guy's name? That's Kit Harrington? Good that, job. That, yeah. wow. okay. Don't pretend like you don't know his name, Mike I Burge. Didn't at first. I, I stared off into the distance <laughs> up you at the mountain. Math, it was just but like, there's Kit Harrington. I heard his name like a dream. And I was just like, yeah. okay, like that's what dream. it is. <laughs> yeah, the guy from the guy from the volcano movie, Pompeii. Of course. Of course. I really like uh I also Oh sorry, D, go ahead. Oh no, I was gonna say I just I really liked creepy Jennifer Jason yep. Lee as the boss. Yeah, she was cool. killing it. Like I was just like ah the whole time, and I'm like, you're doing She's so good at being like the leader of like weird stuff like annihilation yeah. too. Just... Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I was totally. gonna say she kinda like took her annihilation character and her hateful eight character and just kinda put them together Ooh, with like, different Morphin? aspects and she's nice. just like <laughs> Capitalism. I liked how uh, lo-fi the the tech was, yeah. but also like the it's a design of a lot of it as well. I like that, and and I really um, doing more research about the movie after watching it and like learning about how like a lot of the special effects were done like in camera. Like a lot of them are like practical in a lot of ways. I thought mm-hmm. that was really cool. It I I really liked that movie. Um, I think when I first watched it, I wasn't sure how I felt about it because it, it felt at the time like more style over substance but as i sat on it longer the the substance started to to show itself and like it's it's a lot more of like a movie movie than i thought it was going to be from the trailers like i thought it was going to be some kind of like really aloof artsy you know cool but like weird experimental film but it's it's a lot more like grounded than that you know Mm -hmm. it's still experimental it's still artsy but it's you know, it's an assassination movie at the end of the day. Like, it has some, like, common tropes that, that are easy to kind of, like, sink your teeth into and, like, you know, be along for the ride of it. Yeah. Him and his father are, are very good at that, of balancing the, uh, the the artful, ethereal nature of their movies with their, um, but, but still making their, their stories uh, adaptable and easy to follow, easy to understand. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, I love just the like I know we're not we're not talking spoilers, but just like the premise of of Andrea's character like inhabiting all these other people. So then when she has to go back to her normal life, oh, yeah, like, those scenes. trying to mm-hmm. just like mm-hmm. her identity and her practicing like talking to her husband and her kid and just being like, this is what I'm supposed to yeah. be doing. There's definitely themes of violence in there too, and how that can can separate yeah. you from your humanity and and you lose that over time that connection. Very cool. Almost gaslighting yourself. Oh, fancy. Uh, anybody else got anything else on uh, Possessor before we swap on over? Closing statements. Cool. Great movie. This was very high on my list as well. Yeah, it's mine cool. too. Did everybody see the uncut version? I, I, think I don't know. It's it's one put on VOD. So, That's... so my understanding is, is that they put uncut out first and then uncut was pulled and replaced with the... Uh, the like original like mm. like line cut and now that's the only cut that you can get what did we watch i thought we watched the uncut because it was pretty gruesome but i found out there's a couple scenes in the uncut one that were not in the one that we saw oh there's like extended scenes and stuff that kind of go a little bit more twisted so huh. i saw the cut down one and i was still like good load yeah. but uh i still haven't seen the uncut one which apparently has something to do with uh an erection at one point what so i think that's the mm. defining change in yeah. the in the movie, I read a scene about I read something on that scene, and I was like, "Well, I don't remember that." Bone scene. Zone rated X. Huh. My second viewing of Possessor was the uncut version. I got the uh, I got I the, see. Uh, the Blu-ray. 
and uh, that has the full uncut full erection. Full boner. <laughs> version. Yeah, so I, I'm going to have to seek that one out when I'm ready to uh, revisit yeah. this movie. <laughs> really get it. Um, so next up, we have uh, Diana. What movie would you like to talk about next? Oh, uh, taking it to a, a more lighthearted, fun one. I picked uh, Love and Monsters, which was number 10 on my best of list. And it was kind of just like a fun, you know, a little bit more likable than Zombieland's Jesse Heisenberg. But, you know, I like Dylan O'Brien because I'm going to admit to you guys that I have watched all of Teen Wolf and it was pretty good. (laughs) Rest in peace. It's not the best quality, but the characters are very likable and he's sort of a really likable, not superhero nerdy kid with funny quips on that so kind of keeps that going on this and uh the effects were i feel like just good enough they weren't like too terrible they weren't too cheesy but they were fun and there's a good dog boy and his dog on a journey there's michael rooker who i love so yeah i thought it was really good (laughs) yes it was fun i love this movie too i I think it's on both of our lists i I, did it break onto your list yeah it's my number 10 as well yeah. Damn straight. Yeah, yeah, this was one like we just sat down and watched it. Uh, I kind of like the color palette of a 30 second ad that Amazon showed me before something. <laughs> and uh, Diana watched Teen Wolf. So there you go. Both crazy. <laughs> but, you know, that hey. we went in and we watched it and really blew me away, I think. And I recommended it to I recommended yeah. it to Ravi and a couple of you guys just like, I think you guys might dig this. Um, and it's just like, oh. I found it just to be a really good version of the type of movie that it's trying to be. It stays in its lane. It knows what it is. I found that there was like a lot of like transformer quality sure. to sure. it, but yeah. was done in a way that had heart and emotion connectivity. Like D said, the special effects are just like, are great. The action set pieces actually have me caring about these characters and this dog and not really knowing what the what the end of the movie was going to be, kind of having feelings about where they might be going based off the movie's attitude. But for the most part, like, yeah, like every 10 minutes, I was just like, this movie is movieing real hardcore and it's having a <laughs> lot of fun. I just liked that a lot of the movies that were really high on my list this year were really fucking depressing. So sure. I was sort of like, ah, this is fun. It's not too serious and it's not too deep and that's Despite okay. It being post-apocalyptic. So, it's like still pretty good yeah, time, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I yeah. thought the uh, <laughs> I thought the creature design of this movie <clears throat> like was really really good and, and one of the things that really blew yeah, me it was away. Um, but yeah, it feels like it has like the, the sensibilities of like an 80s movie, you know? It has like kind of that like charm and it like you feel nostalgic for it as you're watching it and you're not really really quite sure why. Um and they're not like jamming the nostalgia no. down. Like it's not like like Stranger Things. I love, it's but like punch it's you like, in the face. The nostalgia it, yeah. <laughs> aspect is part of it. Is part of the appeal. Whereas this one is just, it's not trying to mimic eighty stuff. It's just it's naturally thing. kind of replicating that feeling. Yeah, that movie just like it feels, it feels good, man. Um, it's. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, I had, I had such a like a, a joy watching it, and in my write up, I kind of like there's there's the saying that like is almost bordering on cliche, but a lot of people are just like, man, I wish I could see movies in the movie theater, and it's like I I miss that too. I also don't mind watching them at home all that much, but uh, I think Love and Monsters is one where I was just like, I wish I got to see this on like 
a hot June day in a cold movie theater. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like this movie's such like a movie theater summer blockbuster movie. Yeah. It's a yeah. popcorn yeah, movie for sure. for sure. Which I like. Yeah, I went then. into this and I wasn't expecting to dislike it by any means, but I definitely enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. And I think it speaks to just how simple the story was. And I find pacing wise, often when you watch a movie that does a lot of like flashback scenes, the pacing is off. But I really liked the way they revealed things from like the prior life and what was happening currently. I was really impressed with the pacing of that. And it felt kind of like a comic book, which I was into. And then I was yeah, totally. also really yeah. impressed by the dog. That dog, I can't believe they used a real dog. The dog's so and the dog is good, so good. Man. Best best supporting. I read it. Best I read it. Well, two very dogs. impressed two still. Dogs? Well, the two best boys. Give them Oscars. Have them like eat it. Yeah, I read. Uh, I read. <laughs> I read. It's two dogs, but one dog is the stunt dog, Aww. and the other dog is like the just like. You know. So you got like a little bit of Cliff Booth, Rick, <laughs> yeah. Rick Dalton kind of thing yeah. going on here. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> More like a Cliff totally. Wolf. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Yeah, Red. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Rick no, I read. Uh, uh, no, I read like a little interview dogs. with uh, Dylan O'Brien talking about yeah with the dogs, but it was just talking about how he spent like the first hour every day on set just oh. hanging with the dogs so that they would like get to like him enough that they would do all yeah the when i was watching it i was like suck on that call of the wild like use a real dog train a real yeah. dog for, like for i said, god i forgot about that movie. i said that to mike too i was like call of the wild could have been okay if they had just used a real dog <laughs> i completely forgot call of the wild was a movie that existed. i think everybody forgot. i didn't watch it but there's i know a, there's a fake dog in it <laughs> as soon as i saw a, the, the cg yeah. trailers of the dog i was like no sorry harrison <laughs> Gonna pass on that no. one. Yeah. There's a guy who came into yeah. the theater like back when things were open and we worked there, and he was just like, "Are you guys gonna play Call of the Wild?" And I like couldn't help but laugh in his fucking face. I was like, "No," and he was like, "Why? It looks good." And I was like, "Oh, we're not showing it. <laughs> you can watch Portrait of a Wildfire if you like." <laughs> Honestly, like if they didn't shut us down and they stopped releasing all other movies, yeah, fuck, yeah sure. we probably would have slap called the Theater wild one, right two, and three, screen. baby. <laughs> Double ticket price. I half mean, your proceeds go to making good movies. So if gotcha. If you're gonna go for a Jack London movie with a dog. Scroll back to the library and get yourself. There's a Ethan Hawke White Fang with a real dog, and that is way better. (laughs) Yeah, dude. I just like not to derail from Love of Monsters too much with this Call the Wild thing, but I really just do love how obvious it is that Harrison Ford just didn't want to work with a dog, didn't want to deal with all that bullshit. So they're like, we'll just cartoon one. There's no other reason to do it. They've been doing stunt dogs. For decades, they can very easily do this. Harrison stuff. just wanted and to work with like, a man in a suit pretending to be a dog the whole time. Instead. <laughs> a tennis ball yeah, on a better. stick. <laughs> yeah, no, it's actually With a man in a suit. Insane. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy, it's the it's the fugitive reunion that Harrison Ford's always like, wanted. Like good. a man in a green suit who uh, who's like on all like all fours on the ground. It's secretly just Harrison's Aww. fetish. Yeah. That's that's yeah. what he wanted. Getting cool. getting Tommy Lee Jones yeah. in a green suit. <laughs> that's why that's why the ending of the movie is the dog staring at the camera for two straight minutes and then saying, "And then I woke up." I knew that everyone was going to appreciate that, but I knew that Jeremy was going to explode. <laughs> Slid. You can't drop a No Country for Old Men just and not have Jeremy just turn into the puddle scene from Possessor. 
um yeah and anything else on love and monsters guys i i can't this it's probably the one movie i would recommend the most off of my list yeah because i think anybody would like this movie i think it's very easy to go in thinking kind of a lot like what burn said where it's like okay i'm sure this won't be bad but yeah, like that's what it'll i thought. be okay but then there's there's some stuff in there that's very surprisingly um impressive i think and I was just like, Burge good. pitched it to me as Zombieland by way of Turbo Kid. And that was like, for me, just like Ooh. the best fucking like, yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, nice. give me that. Um, I do think it's the Zombieland of this decade. I hope they make another one and, you know, whenever they do or like, I don't know. Hopefully not. I hope they do because I want more Michael Rooker. Yeah, that too. <laughs> I think it was better I'll than Zombieland. I'll take a movie that's like their story. Yeah, yeah well, it was definitely better than Zombieland too because that movie sucks butt. But. Hopefully, mm. it'll take them ten years to make a sequel to this. Well, right? Yeah, yeah. It even makes sense. I, I unfortunately did not get to see Love and Monsters yet, but uh, this is this is definitely steering me towards that way. The the the, the yeah. talk kind of sounds like uh, kind of sounds like last year's Alita Battle Angel a little bit, where it's like that. that There's a lot in there. Yeah, that, that yeah. Kind of movie that a lot of people missed the first go around. By Was that last year? Lead about, yeah, that As was in 2019? Yeah, it was 2019. It was early 2019. Man. And uh, it will pick up an audience over time, certainly like Alita did. So so I'm looking forward to yeah, checking that out. Uh, any other talks on Love and Monsters from anybody else? Moving right along. Next up is Robbie Bebe Anderson. Robbie, tell the good folks at home what movie you'd like to talk about. And I'm why? with the wolves tonight. Uh, I I I, <laughs> I want to talk about Wolfwalkers. Uh, I fucking love this movie because I am a twelve year old girl who has a best friend. Mm. Uh, no, you don't have to. You don't have to say that just to, to no, like I it. Uh, I like because it it's, it's animated. I love it because it's animated, and that's yeah. the only reason. Now, Wolfwalkers is is, uh, is very cool. It's a uh, animated story that takes place in 1650 about a young English girl and her dad who uh, immigrates to a bustling town in uh, Ireland. And on the outskirts of this town, there is a mysterious pack of magical wolves, and they are people who live among them called Wolfwalkers. And I don't want to, you know, if you watch the trailer for this movie, it will tell you just exactly what happens. So I almost. <laughs> Don't want anyone to watch the trailer for it because I I was watching it and like like a child I was like oh my god they're doing this oh my god they're doing this <laughs> oh if I just pay attention to what the name of the movie was this would have made more sense <laughs> um, but luckily I am a simple idiot and I really really enjoyed the movie um, there was a moment in the middle of it that I just like started crying because I was just like felt so good watching it like I was just like having such a good time watching it uh, I think the movie feels more like classic and like down to like it's early like disney roots inspiration more than like anything disney's done recently and like disney's done some great stuff obviously but this feels like a classic disney cartoon in a lot of ways without a lot of the trappings like it reminds me a lot of brave for like some obvious reasons and some more like thematic reasons um but it's it's really cool it's also it's it cannot be understated that the movie looks fucking incredible it bl- it blows like any animated movie that came out this year out of the water punches it right in the dick and it's just <laughs> it's just rocks it's so good i know a lot of people didn't get to see it because it was on uh 
Apple Apple TV plus minus start button select <laughs> X Y X Y up down left right. But uh, you know, if there's any way someone can see it or get someone's login or figure out the cheat code. I I cannot just get a free enough. trial for the week and watch it and then yeah, cancel so, well, that's, it. That's, that's what that's we one way did. To do it. Free trial. Scream at your iPhone until it makes you watch it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what that's what we did too. Yeah. We just got the free trial and watched like Boy State Wolfwalkers. Oh, I watched my my sweet baby Greyhound, mm-hmm. my Tom Hanks submarine movie which uh i heard it was good it fuck, it's fucking I great that was good. <laughs> and, and, and it's okay right. but i love it because i i like submarine movies well you are a um, boy but yeah and then i just stuck with apple tv because i'm just kind of like there's a lot on here and they're about to start getting a bunch of here's the thing with apple tv they're gonna start releasing all of a24 stuff yep. like directly oh, no. really? like they're gonna be the ones that oh, get it so it's only like, 4.99 hey, oh, no. i'll throw the five yeah. bucks down it's, it's not eh, a big a24 one. Not is not a cool one. anymore so i don't really need it that's very yeah. true, actually. It's, it's, not not cool. Cool. it's not cool. A24 anymore. is dead to me. Neon is my new best friend. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'm only into... I'm only into it's the, it's uh, the hipper, younger girlfriend. I only watch freshman films at not liberal arts schools. They have to be made on, <laughs> on an iPhone 6, and they're not edited, so it's real, real underground shit. Uh, that's it I actually I probably would really like that um, but yeah Wolfwalkers you know not, not to, before you know extending the conversation that everyone else who's seen it but yeah I really really like Wolfwalkers beyond me just really liking animation I do think it's like a really like heartwarming story um, and I it's it's just like an incredibly satisfying movie to watch really 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 liked it yeah, I love in the animation. I, <laughs> I love in the animation style that you can see like the gesture drawing, like mm-hmm. in the wolves, like and how like they move, and how like the the humans move too. But I like how you can kind of see like the raw animation behind the finished animation. You don't see that very yeah. often, and I think yeah. that was very cool. It was a cool touch. It really like yeah, stuck like to its animalistic like, nature. It's kind of like flawed yeah. in some ways, and. I saw a cool art exhibit where they had some um, artwork from another movie by the same creators. Uh, it was uh, Song of the Sea, mm. where it's like about the Selkies. And uh, it was cool because like the dr- it would show, you know, uh, kind of like pen and ink and watercolor and rough sketch and like something on uh, clear film over it. And you could see like how the layered creation got made for like the background and then the main characters it's it's always cool to see stuff like that for actual animation and you know it's not all done on the computer it's pretty sweet i really like the um the way that they did landscapes in the movie like uh it's hard to explain it but like the way they would like you know if if you were like on an incline or on a hill the way they would like position the town behind it like was very it almost like it reminded me, like it was like Wes Anderson esque. I'm not sure. There's probably like a more like actual term for like someone who would have drawn something like that, but I I do not know. But it, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, as well. the different different force perspectives yeah. and things. It's very and cool. I, you know, I like the yeah. way that like magic operated. I like kind of like the the duality of like spiritualism and like old school uh, irish religion i'm not really sure <laughs> like you know like Don't i like block. that there's like there's like an interesting yeah. like duality happening there and just uh accents so many amazing accents <laughs> irish accents so, are good yeah <laughs> yeah they're good i i felt like i was like also like 
it reminded it, it like gave me the joy I would have of like a day at the Renaissance Fair. Like it, it kind of imbued me with like that, <laughs> nice. that spirit. I miss the Renaissance Fair this year. Think back to the time you and I shared that kiss on the bridge, Robbie. That's Think true. back that on it fondly. Yeah. We almost got your wife a sword. <laughs> it was a great time. <laughs> Uh, speaking of kisses and swords, this is ironically the second movie on our list that has Sean Bean in it. Because mm-hmm. Sean Bean was in Possessor, and he's also oh, uh, he is. a voice. True. plays the dad in this. He's so scary he in Possessor. Yeah. I didn't... Well, he's nice. He's nice yeah, guy in this I, movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's pop very on nice guy. Yeah. yeah. No, I like if you if you haven't had a chance, Robbie, to see um, Song of the Sea. Yeah. That's got Brendan Brendan Gleeson as the voice of the dad in that one. So I feel like they all have like they have a crew. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, they have good mm. good actors doing the voices in a lot of those movies. Or like Book of Kells is another one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really I gotta cool. I gotta see the other stuff this studio has done. Yeah. And, uh, and look forward to anything they do going Real forward. Good. But this was definitely the it. uh this was a cool jumping on point for me too. It was it was very yeah. Very cool. Can cannot recommend it. it. It's you know all ages. You got kids. Show it to them. You are yourself. Go watch it. It's great. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, that Burge and I rewatched this film pretty recently, and I don't know how many of you guys have seen The Thief and the Cobbler, but The Thief and the Cobbler is oh. an older animated film from what the late eighties or mid eighties, I believe. Finally, finally was completed in like the, yeah. the late 80s but it, it, it they've been working on it since yeah like the so 60s. there are like four different versions of that film but you can find them on youtube and if you liked wolf walkers mm-hmm. i think you should check out thief and the cobbler because they also play with space and building shape in really fun ways and cool. i felt like watching cool. wolf walkers yeah, really was, cool. yeah like a nice like homage to some of the stuff seen in thief and the cobbler yeah that's cool. good to know yeah, because we watched that for our shout-out Tony Collette retrospective Ooh. series on our exclusive channel. And uh, it's a lot of fun, and the next one is going to be really <laughs> fucking weird, because these are weird movies that Tony Collette yes. is choosing to do. <laughs> She's had a weird career. <laughs> All gotta start somewhere. I've had to buy VHSs from Australia to like rip them to be able to actually watch them, because none of them exist anymore for various reasons. <laughs> <laughs> One of them, not to get too sidetracked, is uh, a movie about the paparazzi chasing after Diana, uh, Princess Diana. Um, and it was released the month Princess Diana was in a horrible car Ooh. crash because she was being chased by paparazzi. Uh, and it is an unfortunate film. And it's very hard to find because everyone has destroyed every copy. I don't blame them. But I got a, co- I got a copy coming. But uh, they have to send it by ship because they can't put it on an airplane. I imagine probably because of COVID restrictions, but I like to think the actual DVD itself is not allowed to contraband. <laughs> it's on a no like this list. They can't the forbidden DVD. It, yeah, it needs it needs to get to me like King Kong. I love it. Uh, Any uh, else, guys? Very very good choice, Robbie, for this because I hadn't seen it yet. I had planned on seeing it, but it spurred me to watch it, and I very much enjoyed it and appreciated it. I'm glad you. I'm glad you dug it. Good stuff. All right, well, next up, uh, It Me, Mike Birds, and I would like to talk about uh, my favorite movie of the year, uh, By a Hair. My top three, but rather my top five were extremely close, and it kind of just came down to preference, kind of in the same way that a lot of movies that I really wanted to get on my top 20 um, were really came down to, do I like this more than The Invisible Man? And unfortunately, for movies that I really dug, like Wolf Walker's, 
and a couple other movies that are on this list. I was just like, at the end of the day, Invisible Man really slaps and it's my language and I couldn't knock it off. Um, but all the way at the other end of that list is I'm thinking of ending things. Charlie Kaufman's um, piece de resistance of uh, what I like to consider his his final form yeah. as the type of director <laughs> that I think that he wants to be. And I couldn't be happier and more excited that he's kind of using his talents and his uh, techniques to kind of do something that I, I honestly don't think anyone else can do as well as him. He's, he's doing things in this movie that have been done before, both, you know, visually and storytelling wise in cinema throughout a lot of stuff. But I think that he can hone it in with his specific brand of humor that I find so funny. Uh, I've, I've watched this movie Three and a half times now. Um, Commitment. Every single time, it not only gets easier to understand, which is obviously one of the hardest parts about a first watch through, because things are kind of tied together at the end. And even then, not completely gradually, you kind of have to go through. And whereas usually I don't like movies that kind of feel like homework like this, like, you know, something like, you know, The Holy Mountain like these cult classics that everybody likes to rewatch at midnight now every month and really dissect and pick apart. I'm thinking of ending things has, it gets funnier. Every time I watch it, you notice little tiny Easter eggs all throughout there that inform other things that you're now aware of. You know, the, the, there's a scene where you go into one of the main characters rooms and you see a bookshelf with a bunch of different things on it. And the more time you have to really look at the stuff that's on that bookshelf, it's the entire movie is like right there and it's just fun that there's like, you know, there's a copy of The Thing on VHS that he used to watch when he was a kid. And the movie has a very predominable snowstorm. It's just little tiny things like that, that I think really hold down the movie's overall theme that I find really the most fascinating in the movie, which is playing with the idea of showing how memory uh, looks to us or how dreams feel to us and how the things that we remember are kind of moved around or anything like that without getting too specific. And I just think it's a really interesting way. Charlie Kaufman has always been able to deal with really specific things that we can all kind of like, uh, that we can all relate to, like just the feeling of self-worth and being John Malkovich or writer's block or wanting to like be a successful person without selling out and adaptation, different things like that. And then I'm thinking of ending things. I think it's his most human story, even more so than Anomalisa, which is very much just about being human and what that means. Uh, I absolutely loved it. And every time I came back to wrestling with my top five, it always kept coming down to, I think that I'm thinking of ending things as the one that I'm going to be rewatching for a really long time because every time I sit down to rewatch it and maybe skip to a certain part to like really look into it, I find myself laughing more and more and it never turns into the actual chore that I think it's going to be like homework. It's, it's fun to do it and it just gets better and better. Yeah. I really, my take. I really love the way that it feels like he's, he's kind of personifying memory with the characters in this movie. Um, and the way that memory is sort of a slippery kind of thing and how it can mold and change and your perspective on your memory can change, especially at the end of your life if you're looking back on things and, and considering 
how things went or how you may have wanted things to go one way or another. Um, and I think it's, it's cool that it's sort of a purposefully disorienting film in that way. And I think that fits with a lot of the themes. Um, and I just, I think the chemistry between the two leads is so strong. Uh, I'm for, you have to, yeah, you have to give me the, uh, the actress's name, Jesse, Jesse Buckley. Buckley. Yeah. She's fantastic. She is so, so magnetic in this movie. Um, I think she really carries it, uh, in a lot of ways. And that's like last year when I stumbled upon wild Rose, which like started getting a lot of heat as award season came up too. I was just like, who is this? This is amazing. Cause that was kind of Jesse Buckley's big breakout. And uh, so the fact that she is also now in my number one, like, I need to watch essentially Chernobyl. headlining my number one yeah. this year. Like that's just like, mm, I love it. And sh- she's got sweaters in this. Oh that yeah. I want <laughs> the, the costume design's phenomenal. Her sweater yeah. game is just mamma mia. Spicy meat. I mean, she's got sweaters that I borrowed from friends when I was in eighth grade, <laughs> but yeah. The, the, the fact that this movie, a, a bulk of this movie is two characters talking to each other in a car, like a, a yeah. large part of the runtime. And that works and it's not like it rides that line. And I think, you know, Charlie Kaufman does this a lot of like riding that line of pretension, but also being self-aware about it in a way that I think makes it work. Yeah. Which is very similar to something we're going to talk about soon uh, with uh, Burns next pick, which is, you know, the, the figure in that is also a very uh, kind of pretentiously seen individual, but whose outlooks are just so much more than that. And that you can't help, but just be like, no, this is this guy knows what he's talking about, and I should listen to him. Yeah. Um, Charlie Kaufman is a lot like that. With you know, I mentioned in my write up how his two directorial efforts previously to this, uh, Synodoke New York and um, uh, Anomalisa, are good movies, but are just insanely sad. sad. And not that like all of his movies are sad. <laughs> I but still I found this movie sad. It's but maybe sad. I'll laugh more on a rewatch he's like a sad you know kind of individual and a sad creator but when you get things like spike jones and michelle gondry kind of coming in and these goofballs are like messing around and like having fun with these sad things that they're doing visually i think it took charlie kaufman maybe a little bit to figure out what version of that that he wanted to be in and i think that jack a lot like what you just said like this kind of eccentric like uh dizzying on purpose kind of thing is like his way of being like this is my silly Mm -hmm. i can be silly by you know having the dog shake off water for too long or have a really sad moment where we're talking about like a pig being eaten alive by maggots like it's just like there's there's just so much funny stuff in this i found the funniest scenes to be uh the parents to be tony collette and david thulis yeah Yeah. Yeah. like david thulis with and I, Mike brought this up to me and then I like could not notice it. Just like his band-aid kept moving where it was mm-hmm. on his face, which I was just They did like, that with a lot of he, the stuff though. Like the, the you yeah. know, the outfits change from one scene to another. Mm-hmm. Like those little things right. that make the, the film feel that much more like disorienting, you know, the, the just kind a of tiny right around bit the jarring. edges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I and it's one of the things that I love the most about it is that it's never really it's never really put up front and center. Um even in in like towards the end when like things start going really crazy and you start seeing kind of what's going on, it's never really present. It's he never hands it to you. Yeah. Like he and so like you know if he were to just sh- and he does kind of show within the first five minutes what the movie mm-hmm. is. It and it's only if you're kind of paying attention and not necessarily 
smart, but like able to kind of make that connection like, oh, is this what's going on? And even then, all the little changes in like wardrobe and different props and aging and stuff, he never really presents it as like this action. Characters are never like really responding to it, except for moments where it's even weirder that they're responding to it now because they haven't been responding to everything else. And it's kind of this weird kind of way of talking about how memory doesn't really work like we think it does. And we only use certain moments of it to our advantage and disregard the others. But that doesn't mean that those aren't there. Right. It's it's an interesting movie and I really love watching it. I watch it too much. He leaves <laughs> just the right amount of room, I think, for viewer interpretation. And I think there's there's room in there for like several kind of degrees of interpretation there too. So I love too uh how much it plays with do humans learn behavior from culture and art? How much of who we are is built by things that we've taken in rather than mm, who we right. might actually be in you know, devoid of culture and art and film and television and literature. It, I really like when people play on like, am I who I am because of me or because of all of the outward influences that I'm, you know, surrounded by each day. And I really love how Charlie works with that too in this movie. Totally. And for something, for someone like me who, uh, very much is or at least fancies himself like a cultural omnivore i like to like kind of take in things that are going on and i love movies books music video games you know and i try and get as much of everything as i can possibly get in and it's to have to be doing that for so long and then to kind of think back on your life and be like man if if i hadn't watched like you know virtuosity and home alone 2 uh, lost in New York so many times in my grandma's basement because I just didn't want to fucking talk to her. Would I be like this? And who would I be if I wasn't? I'd be somebody who probably didn't fucking like. I'm thinking of ending mm. things probably. <laughs> uh, it's just a movie that's kind of rape for me and I love it very much. And I that's usually what I reserve my number one spot for. Like Thunder Road, uh, Blade Runner 2049, Midsummer. These are movies that are very important to me beyond just what they are like a good indie movie or a sequel or like a nice follow-up to a horror movie I liked. These are movies that like kind of come to define me a little bit in my memory of those years. And I can't think of a, a better movie to represent 2020 than this twisted little fucking nightmare <laughs> True, with sweaters. True. They're stuck in a house. Also, it's also the most uh, um, local movie probably on all our lists. Shot right down the road. That is true. I, and I, I served uh, Jesse Plemons and Jesse Buckley at Quinn's uh, when they were shooting in there. <laughs> yeah, they, they came to a lot know. of the local spots, right? Because we saw I them didn't at, know at that she was Jesse Buckley because I hadn't seen Wild Rose yet. I was just like, oh, that's the Breaking Bad oh. guy. Okay. <laughs> to be fair, Jesse Buckley looks like someone who would just frequent Quinn's. Be at yeah. Quinn's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, but also, to be fair, too, so does Jesse Plemons. True, true, so. true. Shout out to Jesse Buckley um, in season four of Fargo as well. Very good. Ooh. Oh, I'm about to start season four of Fargo. I got to catch up on my Fargo and my Better Call Sauls now that I'm getting done with all my stuff. I'm I'm very excited. As, as well as, as Chernobyl, for those that haven't mm -hmm. seen that yet. I have to get Chernobyl that too. Was, uh, yeah. that, that, I watched that. That premiered in 2019, but I watched it in 2020. Probably after, hits different this year, it huh? It hit way <laughs> different Oh, God. After everything went down, holy crap. Well, that's the other thing, too, that we talked about briefly on the Tenet episode, where we're just kind of like, isn't it? Can we just point out how wild it is 
that the first movie to come out, like the big one to save, is about like don't go in certain places without a mask or you'll die. <laughs> yeah. like, what are the odds of this? Hit different, yeah. I mean, that's the same thing too with Love and Monsters, which is like you know people are going out yeah. for groceries and it's a life or death situation. And yeah. one that oh, yeah. that I'm, we're not going to really dive into today, but was on my list is um, "She Dies Tomorrow," which is very oh, much yeah. about that Great fucking movie. Ooh. Which is yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I snuck in my favorite part of "She Dies Tomorrow" as part of your intro clip. So nice. You're gonna you're gonna like it. Perfect. With a with a good buddy of ours who makes movies that we like. Mm. Um, but moving on, I think that's good. Yeah. I think I'm thinking of anything is great. <laughs> I-T-O-E-T. I, I, Good. Yes. Moving on. Um, Bernadette Gorman-White. Yes. You have a movie. I have it written down here. Tell the people what the movie <laughs> is and, and what's going on. What? Why, why are we talking about it? What's up? So uh, my number one movie as, as well, Burge started off with his number one, and this is my number one. Um, there really wasn't any wiggle room. For it, to be honest, uh, once I saw it, it dropped on HBO Max. Um, sadly, like no other movie would compete for that spot just because it's so different and original and clearly like made for someone like me. Um, I grew up listening to Talking Heads and listening to, you know, David Byrne music in my household. And strangely enough, I hadn't seen Stop Making Sense until like the beginning of 2019. Um, which oh, is wow. crazy. Like for okay. some odd reason, it just never was played in my house. And I asked my mom about it and she was like, oh yeah, I saw that when it came out. And that was that. She was like, I really liked it. And I'm like, why didn't you play it for us when we were kids? Um, but yeah, I had a really good time. And so I was kind of writing that stop making sense high leading up to finally seeing David Byrne's American Utopia, which is number one on my list. Um, it was directed by Spike Lee. American Utopia was an album by David Byrne that came out in 2018, and then he started touring with it, but then constructed like a Broadway-style show, like a concert experience, if you will, that was running on Broadway, and uh, there was supposed to be a second run of it in the fall of 2020 that obviously got canceled, but luckily enough, Spike Lee was able to, you know, capture it on film just before it got shut down, and I love David Byrne's American Utopia because while Stop Making Sense is more of just like a straight concert, which is very well directed by Jonathan Demme, um, super immersive, super cool to see how the set is constructed as the concert's happening and to see like the very small vehicle that is Talking Heads, like the four core members, then have this entire backing band of like people who've performed with like Parliament Funkadelic and just like a really cool mixed experience. And the concert goers in Stop Making Sense are great to watch too. Like everyone's really into it. And I feel like the the concert audience in Stop Making Sense is much more culturally diverse. And I think David Byrne uses that to his advantage when uh, he did American Utopia. Because as Burge mentioned earlier, sometimes David Byrne can be seen as someone who maybe might be like pretentious i've never seen that but i do understand that read i mean he's in an episode of portlandia playing himself he gets hit when he's riding his bicycle so i mean like he <laughs> he plays into it he knows his audience and you can tell that like the audience in american utopia is you know like that middle-aged npr listener very white 
and David Byrne uses American Utopia and especially Spike Lee directing it, like helps energize the audience to like get you out of your bubble and really confront you with possibly your shortcomings, which I found very inspiring. But the actual American Utopia routine that is set up, this like crazy choreographed experience that you see for like two hours is very impressive. And it's David Byrne at the beginning, of course, and then he has his two dancers slash backup vocals, and then slowly the band grows, similar to Stop Making Sense. But each song is, there are usually like two songs, but then they're punctuated with like little lectures he gives to the audience, which kind of like marries all of the songs together. And then you see some like excellent protest music and excellent exposition of like why the Black Lives Matter movement is important and timely and also just relevant all the time. Like, I think that if you were to watch this film in like five years from now, I think it's going to hit just as hard as watching it now, which I think is impressive. But the way of the set design is so sparse on stage and it's surrounded by like a metallic, like almost like a waterfall curtain surrounding the stage and the way that each musician can move around the stage freely because all of the instruments are wireless i think it's a really cool homage to like what music can do and it's to make you dance and it's to make you joyful and to make you appreciative and also give you a better understanding that we're all in this together and i think the film really does a beautiful job of explaining that and plus you get to listen to david byrne slash talking heads music for an hour and 40 minutes and that's fun too yeah, this is like a very burn movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me, me and D watched it um, last night. Uh, finally, it's been one that I've been meaning to get to. And I was really nervous because I have my own certain set of rules as far as like what I allow to go on my list because I already have 20. So I try not to break the rules. Like I got in a big fight with Robbie about possibly putting know, the last know. of us part two on that. it was a huge fight <laughs> robbie called me a lot of names we didn't talk for three days yeah well um you're being a fucking idiot <laughs> that's kind of ironic I having very, read I was very nervous to watch this it. morning yeah. i was very nervous to watch it because i was nervous that it was going to really blow me away in a way that was going to make me break my rule where it's like you know is this a movie and in a lot of ways it is but and finally being able to watch it, I was kind of like, oh, I had nothing to worry about because I would have easily been able to separate this from everything else that I was ingesting. And that's actually something that's very cool about the movie is that it's it's very unique. It's it's it, it, like you said, it's like part kind of stop making sense, part Broadway show, part live concert, uh, part. Uh, just kind of PR campaign for David Lynch to just talk about the things that we should be doing because they're important. Burn, not Lynch. What? We'll talk about David him a little bit. Did I say David Lynch? No. Yeah. David Byrne. All well, the Davids. The two Davids with the beautiful white Davids hair. Davids of the year. Yeah. For, for, Davids for sure. look good I'm also in not, I'm also age. not convinced that they're not the same person. <laughs> you can't prove that right now. So. Fair. Um, but yeah, loved it. And yeah. again, at the end of the day, getting to just listen to some cool music is always good. Yeah. I love uh, I love the ability of everybody playing the instruments marching band style, not hooked up to anything. That's pretty fun to watch because um, there were some really good performances. So it's pretty pretty fun. I like to uh, 
I'm, I'm not like an avid theater goer, but I can imagine how much fun that would be to see live. And it was very like, it was cool to try and see where maybe it was filmed more than one night and there was cuts of the audience mm-hmm. changing slightly. But for the most part, it was very, very seamless. It was pretty cool the way it was shot. So. Yeah, and I love the the stages, the 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 um the performance itself is so minimal um, on purpose that it really does allow for just very basic camera setups and movements and placements to be able to really uh, make it feel like you've got the best seat in the house at all times, which I think is one of the funnest parts about these live, uh, like live show performances. I still haven't sat down to watch the Hamilton one that dropped. Me neither. Uh, I'm still building up to that one, but you know, cause that's with me, I have never heard a single Hamilton song. I don't know anything about it because I've always been like, I want to go see it and take it in. And that's never going to happen now because, no. you know, we're all we're all going to die. So I should just watch this is just watch it on Disney Plus. Hamilton's cool. It, I'm pretty it, excited. It has it. like problematic elements to it that are interesting to to dissect. And I think after you watch it, you you should. But I think Hamilton's cool. It's fun. If anything, the music rocks. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, but yeah, loved loved American Utopia, and th- as well, Burn. I can agree with you that as I was watching it, I was, I had already known oh, yeah. that it was your favorite. But as I was watching it, I was like, man, yeah, this has Burn written all over it. I can just see you like pumping your fists and just like watching this thing. Oh yeah, and I I gotta say too, like the backing band is so cool. And there's a a point yeah. in the film where he comments on like when you go to a concert, sometimes they're unable to play all the instruments live, or sometimes there are other like instrumentation piped in to accompany the the music that you're hearing live. But I liked that he showed each instrument for what it was, which I thought was very cool. And then uh, the fact that he introduced each band member, which he does in Stop Making Sense as well. But there's a a performer and his name is Chris Giarmo and he's uh, the backing vocals. He's the male backing vocal for David Byrne. My eyes were locked yes. on him at all times. He's su- such a joy to watch. And he's uh, from, I think, Newark, New Jersey or somewhere in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, I yeah. looked him up too. I was like, oh, this guy's a sound designer. Like, oh, this guy's very interesting. And I think he helped choreograph it as well. But yeah, that was a joy to watch. They're a lot of fun. Definitely. Yeah. Love it. R.I.P. Live music. Oh, I know. It's We'll get there someday, right? Hopefully. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Oh, oh, <laughs> probably probably oh. not, honestly. You know, I think I think it's all over. If I'm being completely honest, everyone um, wearing their own Daft Punk helmet to go. I see would show. do that. Yeah, <laughs> with their oxygen pumped it's in. It's gonna be VR. Like you're just gonna put, you know, and everybody just puts their phone. All in front concerts of their are face. now in Fortnite. Oh gosh, <laughs> forever. Somehow Palpatine came back. Oh. I know how he did. He came back in Fortnite. Uh, it speak. Uh, it yeah. did speak, bro. Um. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Anything else on American Utopia? Everybody good? I feel like it's I would definitely I recommend see, it I to, it. yeah, you other three. It's on HBO Max. So, I mean, yeah, I would yeah, like it's a right lot there. of fun. Uh, perfect length, too, I'd say. For a movie. I think it's it's like, what, an hour 45? And you just get like some good songs, then some talkies, some good songs, some talkies. There's great credits. Stay mm-hmm. for the credits. Uh, yeah, good. especially for how deep the, the material gets. It's very well paced that it starts out pretty lighthearted, good build up to like the one-two punch to your heart, 
and then it kind of just gets out of there, which is good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a he's a, he's a showman. He knows yeah. what he's doing. Uh next up is uh our good boy Jack. Hello. Uh the surf surfer bot himself. Well, let me tell you the um, surfer bot is not doing as well in quarantine. You know. <laughs> well, not a lot to do besides that's, that's sit around. That's the best part about a nickname and, uh, is it, the nickname stays and you're good to go. It's true. Surfer bot forever, I guess. Um, um yeah, what do you want to talk about? Come on. Yeah, let's, let's so go. let's go. Uh I picked a movie called The Vast of Night. Um, which is a really neat little movie that dropped directly on Amazon Prime. Um, it's from a director called Andrew Patterson, who I, I don't think has really directed any feature-length movies before. And it's one that just kind of really took me by surprise um, that I really, really enjoyed. And I watched it um, the way I watched a lot of movies this year, which was through Amazon Watch Parties on Twitch. Um, so shout out to this this guy named Bakun that does streams almost every night now and we'll do like sometimes three movies in a row. Um, and all it is is really just hey. like a chat room hooked up to uh, an Amazon stream, uh, Amazon Prime stream. Um, and uh, I talked a little bit about this in my list as well, but, you know, I think we lost kind of a sense of communal watching of movies this year um, with not being able to go to the theater. Um and this was a way for me to kind of watch movies with a community, which was really fun uh, in different ways, even though you get in a theater, because in a theater, you're obviously really not talking to each other unless it's like whispering little little cracks here and there to each other during a movie. But this is like full chat room kind of going on while you're watching a movie, um, which was really fun. Um, and I saw a lot of cool movies last year that I, I would have never seen probably in any other circumstances. But uh, but yeah, The Vast of Night really just took me by, by surprise in the way that it's just this very tight little um, movie that that is going for this kind of Twilight Zone sort of 1950s vibe. Um, and it's about these these two young characters, one of whom is a radio talk radio operator and then one of whom is um, this young girl who I think is just a friend of the they, – they kind of just like seem to know each other. It, it takes place in a small town in – in New Mexico, um, and they pick up on some strange audio frequencies, and they kind of pursue that. And uh, yeah, everything about this movie just feels really well put together. Like the performances are great by these actors; they 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 really nail that kind of like fast talky sort of. Especially um, the main character, whose the actor's name is Jake Horowitz, who I had not seen. Yeah, he was great. I had not seen him in anything else before, and I was like totally like taken with him right away the like cigarette smoking fast talking kind of like super charming guy radio operator and then sierra mccormick who is who is the young girl that i mentioned who is also phenomenal um and it's just got this great like aesthetic to it it's got this very like kind of grainy look to it in a way that like um i think maybe jeremy and i talked about this at some point like mank is a movie that didn't make it on any of our well i don't know actually i haven't read everybody's top list but we're not talking about it today Anyway, at least. Um, but that movie, like, is really going for, like, that, like, sort of era, time and a place sort of thing by, like, being black and white and stuff like that. Um, but it was interesting to me, these two, like, comparing these two movies, because I think The Vast of Night manages to, for me at least, achieve that source of, source of <laughs> that sense of, like, a time and a place much more effectively than Mank did. 
Um, and it's got all this like really clickety clacky sort of like analog technology, like the the phone switchboards that they're operating, or the reels that they're they're or the the vinyl that they're playing on the the radio show, and and then it's got this sort of like cosmic sort of mystery going on to it. Um, that's kind of reminiscent of like coast to coast and those like old timey AM radio talk shows about about uh unidentified phenomenon or unexplained phenomenon and stuff like that so all of that just like really clicked for me with this movie yeah this i feel like my list is like pretty solid i felt really like happy with my list this year but i will say out of the movies that i watched for this podcast specifically the vast of night would have been the one that very easily could have made it on my list i was very charmed mm-hmm. by it it does a lot with a it's a cool movie, movie. <laughs> yeah totally yeah i also yeah oh, it's I, uh, no, oh please, no, you, i was gonna please. say i also grew up in a very small town and even though mm. i was in high school in like the early 2000s through mid 2000s uh all of my basketball games were played at like a very old gym very similar to the gym in this film and like as soon as it started i was like oh yeah i i know this i know this town i know these people it was very good at making very relatable scenarios yeah, there's a timeless quality to mm-hmm. it. Yeah, it's one of those movies that I I'm very mad at because it's so good. Like everything about it is so good, and it's made for like you can see that it's made for like nothing, and you're just like, this is they did it. This is like it's like I watch something like this, and it's just like it's the it's the um, it's the up to date version of something like what Kevin Smith did with Clerks, where he was just like, I just need a camera and a set and I'm just going to use my job after work to do this and get my friends to be actors. And we're just going to do this thing at night and release it and do it. And this movie is a bunch of guys who were all just like sound designers, cinematographers interested in making movies. And they were just like, we're just going to do this really tiny thing. That's mainly all just one static shot um, cuts with uh, simple locations we're going to transition between the locations using some damn cool fucking technology Absolutely. that we developed. Uh, there's a long tracking shot in this movie that is just it's a, fucking it's awesome. It's insane. Yeah. And again, like the actors are all great. The moments where the movie takes to breathe, there's a lot of use of blank screens and stuff that are just like, mamma mia. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> I absolutely loved it. I watched it and was just kind of blown away by it. Um, I think I shared it with some of you guys too, where uh, for those of you who hadn't already seen it and I was just like, this is, this is something really special. Like it makes me feel bad that I stopped trying to pursue um, making movies in any capacity and started kind of getting more into the exhibition and the critique and everything angle of it because I was finding that I was getting more enjoyment and purpose out of that because it's so hard to make movies in any, even if it's just writing, like screenwriting is very hard, even though it's just you, because it's just you with everything else that's ever happened to you and everything else that will uh, fighting in your head for what you're doing and calling you an asshole that you're not good at. So it's every aspect of filmmaking is so hard. And this movie just makes it look easy. Like yeah. a breeze. It seems like it's effortless and it's, it's, uh, it's done by, yeah, like you said, done for for a, a, a relatively very small budget, and uh, from a writer director that's doing this for the the first time, um, and it's just like so impressive that they pulled all this off. Yeah, and it's one of those fun things too, where you're like, you know, sometimes you don't notice that something is one take, 
like one continuous shot mm-hmm. and then you're like you've been watching it for like two minutes and you go like there was recently an episode of uh you're the worst that i watched that's all one continuous take and i didn't realize until halfway through i was just like there's something about this episode that's really cool and i was like wait have they not cut this whole time i haven't blinked been in a going while everywhere <laughs> in this yeah so it's like in vast night it was the same thing where it's like that opening shot with the gymnasium mm-hmm. and the trombone is it a trombone or a trumpet? Trombone. It's trombone, right? Trombone, yeah. It's trombone, like, and just moving all around and everything. And you get, to, I got to a point where I was like 10 minutes in and I'm like, has this all been one shot? Obviously there could be like little, you know, cuts and everything in there, which is totally fine. That's not cheating. It's art. But I was like, that's impressive. This is cool. I'm into this. And it's it's more impressive by the fact that like, these are mostly young um, actors that I have not seen in anything else before. And they're just fucking nailing it. Like, uh, Sarah McCormick has a scene where she's operating the phone and is switching back and forth between calls. And that's like a pretty extended scene all yeah. without cuts. And she just nails it. It's also insane how young they make her look. Yeah. Like I was like, who's this little girl? And I looked it up and she was like 19 years old. And I'm like, wait, what? Even still for 19 years old, like it's super impressive, like how talented it, she It's is. crazy what they do. Yeah. Same with the dude Jack Horowitz where you're just like. So I haven't heard of this guy because this is the thing that tells me about him. I think okay, you probably great. will going forward. I hope so. Because they, sure. they are both really, really great. Do any of you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sierra McCormick. I just found this out last night. She played this character named Emma, who was a little girl that Larry kind of befriends during the Seinfeld run. And he like mm. gives her. Oh, that's the season uh, I oh, haven't okay. seen. Yeah. Yeah. That's I stopped at that season and I, I need to start. Yeah, she has up like a good like little three, four episode arc. But yeah, watching back and looking at that, those clips again was very funny. But yeah, she's a natural talent. Mm. Absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. Anything else on Vast and Night, everybody? It reminded me a lot of very early Spielberg. I think it, it, oh, totally. Yeah. Especially going back to what you were saying about the... Um, having these one takes and hiding them Spielberg is really good at that and yeah. uh, this this movie felt like a great homage to very early Sp- Spielberg and like capturing that like sense of wonder that he's that he's so good at um, capturing and uh, it, it felt like uh, like a great homage while, while being while still being its its own thing and operating on its own level with very little. Yeah, yeah. To, it's it's. Oh, no, please. I was just gonna say that it, to me, it it felt like, and maybe this is just my experience with it, but it felt more like it was doing its own thing rather than some of the movies recently that have you know the the conversation around them has been very much like oh this is like achieving that kind of early Spielberg like Super Eight I guess this like, is what that's what I was gonna yeah. say too Super Eight just didn't it in my list it didn't yeah, hit me in the same way that this movie did. There's something insincere about the trafficking of the type of nostalgia yes. Super 8 is trying to do. Whereas this movie, I didn't even know that that's what it was trying to do going in. Mm-hmm. And I just naturally got it. Like, right. I didn't buy my ticket to Vast Night because I wanted some dank-ass Twilight Zone, early Spielberg era shit. That's just what I got. And I realized, and when I realized that that's what I was getting, I was like, more. Nice. Yes. Yeah, yeah. All right. And so after we did not just take a break or cut any audio out, uh, Jeremy, um, you're up next on uh, what we're going to talk about. Why don't you say the name of the movie that you want to talk about next? And then, I don't know, tell us why. Yeah, I can do that. (laughs) Uh, So the next movie is The Sound of Metal. 
Um, it is a movie. Sound of metal. Sound of metal. Yeah. Like Foo Fighters. Right. No the. Right. Cleaner. It's cleaner. As opposed to The Vast of Night. Yes. As opposed to The Vast of Night. Yes. So Sound of Metal is a movie that was on a majority of our list. So I think uh, I think everyone can uh, relate to uh, how I feel about it. And uh, Sound of Metal is a film about a young man named Ruben. He is a drummer in like a, like a noise metal band. And uh, he's on the road with his girlfriend. And one day he suddenly starts uh, losing his hearing at a very rapid rate. And because his, uh, you know, his, his world, his, his whole life is, um, is centered around sound and, and music, he has to make a very sudden change in his lifestyle. And he, uh, he has a lot of trouble coming to terms with that and is, and is trying to fight it and, uh, and learns how to adapt to his new environment in very um in in various ways and it's oh man this is this is such a beautifully made and uh terrifically acted movie Riz Ahmed is as as yeah he's always been someone I've been a fan of ever since uh Four Lions and his supporting role in Ooh Four Lions yeah, Four Lions is 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 amazing and uh and his his supporting role Nightcrawler and, uh, and yeah and, uh, the night and HBO um, series the night of he's he's just he just has such like a magnetic presence on the screen and he gets to fully utilize it uh, in in Sound of Metal and um, I touch on this in my list but uh, what really stuck out with me with Sound of Metal is that. Uh, it does an amazing job of getting you into the headspace of Ruben and sure. and how he feels and what he's going through and it and it garners such a a powerful sense of empathy with with what he's going through and um like like him discovering how he's losing his hearing and how that's conveyed through the directing and the sound design is is just as scary if not even scarier and it feels more real than like any horror movie that that i've watched in like in a while and uh yeah and um it's so much of that is the sound design yeah, too it, yeah def- it's definitely like i said the sound design and um this this movie definitely hits in a big way this year because it's um it's it's a movie that that deals with um, sudden change and having to completely like change your life because of this sudden change. And that's something that pretty much everyone in the world right now can uh, relate to. And it, uh, it, it handles that theme in such a, a sensitive and in such a, in such a soulful way. Like it's, 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 it's an incredibly moving film in, in every facet. Yeah. It's I like, this was the one, this is like in my top five that was constantly shaking between like which of these is going to end up in which spot. Um, And sound of metal is just, you know, one of the things that I find I could talk about it for days, but one of the things that I find the most interesting about it is how it uses like what you were talking about. It uses the sound design to kind of push forward um, the story and the narrative of like what they're trying to talk about and the experience that they're trying to give the audience to bring you closer to Ruben 
Um, I love how, but I love how, like, at the end of the day, the specifics of everything that's going on in Sound of Metal kind of fall uh, second nature, just more kind of just like, um, you know, reasons why this was going on and reasons why we're here to kind of push you towards this idea of, yeah, at the end of the day, I think this movie is more about a man who is struggling with addiction yeah. who gets thrown into a situation that we've seen countless times in movies where we're dealing with a character who suffers from addiction, something very bad happens to them. And now you're afraid that they're going to relapse and they are tested and we see if they come out. The difference is, is in most movies, that is something that occurs in the third act or to like kind of test and see where this character is. That's the whole movie with sound of metal is we're introduced to this guy. We don't even know that he has a problem. We like him. Um, and then all of a sudden this is thrust on him and we start learning things about him and go, this is the last person that you want something like this to happen to. Like, not, not that this is something that you would want to happen to anyone, even someone that you really don't like, but you're like, is this guy who I now like going to be able to not only adapt to this, but deal with it personally without, you know, self-destructing. And I think that's one of like the more fun, horrific, tense things about the movie is that you're constantly worried that Ruben isn't going to make it out of this because he does have such a, he has such a fault built within him that's out of his control that could just spring up at any moment. But, and and I think another beautiful thing in the movie is that that all, without getting into spoilers specifically or anything, that that all is treated very delicately and honestly and is something that I am extremely impressed by in the movie i i think they deal with all that stuff really good it's a good movie i like it too it, never, it really it oh go ahead jeremy it it never uh takes the obvious way out in in terms of its storytelling it never plays anything up for pure dramatic effect everything just feels so natural and real and everyone behaves like like a real human being and 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 everyone like everyone can like kind of see where they're where each other is coming from but still struggle to understand it which is which is such a which is such a powerful and difficult thing to convey in in film but it's it's done so well here and um it's this, yeah this is a directorial debut from uh Darius Martyr who um who co-wrote the screenplay for uh, the place beyond the pines some years back, which is, which is one of, which was one of my favorite moves of that particular year. And um, this, this definitely deals with uh, some similar themes to, uh, to place beyond the pines in terms of like in dealing with, uh, dealing with change. And like, that's, that's definitely the thing that, that stuck out to me the most was it's was, was how was how the characters uh, dealt with change and how 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 difficult that can be and um there's there's just there's just scenes where we just sit with where we just sit with uh ruben just him sitting in a room and we just we feel everything that that he's going through and it's 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 a really terrific piece of filmmaking darius really likes to write characters with scratchy tattoos doesn't he yeah yeah for sure for sure, and uh, this this movie also has a has a really great supporting cast. Um, the the actor who plays the um, the the head of the uh, the deaf the deaf community the deaf school I his name is 
escaping me. Right. Paul Racy yeah. or something. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Have you read that interview with him about the that's been going around about how like the the deaf community in like acting and stuff like that and his experience with it? No. No, I haven't. It's very his good. I highly are, recommend it. Are deaf. Yeah. Yeah, right? so he's yeah. so, so he can he... hear, but he's parents of Yeah, his parents are deaf. There, yeah. There's a there's a particular scene. I won't go into the details, but there's a scene where him and Ruben are talking <clears> towards the end of the film. And it's and it's just so real and and heartbreaking and it's it's just so so well written and it's it's yeah it's really incredible. Yeah, Jeremy, you were talking about how you are in scenes where Ruben's by himself and how you feel what he's going through and how it's so easy to empathize with him. I do think it's a very smart choice and probably I don't know I could be ignorant, but one of the first films where you are inside the character's head in a very different way. I feel like you get a lot of like first perspective POV, you know, like behind their eyes. Uh, You get that with a lot of characters in a lot of films, but it's so interesting to take how does a character hear and how does that influence how a character thinks? It was very smart. Yeah. Yeah. There's like the first initial that's even in the trailer, the first initial like thump and ee that happens. Like, you know, I have slight tinnitus and hearing problems from when I was in the military and I get things like that. Like I get like aggressive versions of, we all get like the ee that happens when a certain tone in your ear is kind of dying essentially. Thank you. Children Um, of men. I get one that it's like when it happens, my, my, my eardrums almost completely, um, like thump and it happens on different sides of my ear it usually doesn't happen in unison all at once it, it'll just be all of a sudden on the left uh, there there'll just be like a drop where things become a little muffled for a second and then you get that that e that, that i always hear anyway yeah. and hearing that in a movie delivered almost in the same way as like michael myers coming yeah, around the corner was just like yeah that's how it feels because you're just like it's gonna go away right it goes away it always goes away and then it goes away and you're like okay good but then it's very scary to think about the one day that something like that won't go away yeah. and uh I, I, I do want to talk about a specific scene this is like minor spoilers this happens like in the first act so it's I'm not spoiling anything too big, but there's a there's a scene that stuck sticks out to me when he first gets like diagnosed is that like oh, oh yeah you have a very uh, serious hearing problem and he's just like yeah okay okay and then it immediately smash cuts to him like playing the drums again playing this show with his like pseudo death grips band with his girlfriends and it's just like there's something just so relatable to that where you just get the news that your entire life is about to change and you don't know how to process it so you just you just go back to to like your old life even even though like it's you know it's, you're, it's, you're and, grabbing on you're, you're, you're trying grab, to hold on as hard on as you can to, yeah to what you know even though what you know is is like no longer uh, how you're gonna live even an option well yeah i I think that really speaks to you you know you bringing up so often that i yeah i feel like this movie is definitely about dealing with change Mm -hmm. and whether like coming through something whether you're you know initially thinking that you're going to get to go back to normal whatever normal version was before or 
if you're going to let yourself change while all these other things are changing. And I kind of like that aspect, like his interactions with his girlfriend, Olivia Cook, are really telling and just kind of like yeah. their dynamic. Ending. Yeah, just like their their interactions and the effects they've had on each other, whether that's been good or bad. And then both of them realizing things. But, and But they, they, they like they talk it out like adults. Exactly. It's not like, uh, oh, they, he gets the girl at the end and everything's okay, and now they're in the band again. It's not, you know. It's a very mature movie. Yeah. Uh, also, with Olivia Cook, I didn't realize that was her until she, she showed up with eyebrows, and I was yeah, like, same. hey, that's Olivia Cook. Mm. <laughs> yeah, bleached that also eyebrows. To me. Yeah, I, I really like how the movie um, like introduced us to like the deaf community, which is not a community I knew a ton about. Um, and won't claim to know a ton about, but it was cool, like being in that world and seeing how they operate and, and understanding how, like, you know, there's sound and rhythm that don't just belong to people who can hear. And I thought that was totally. really cool. Um, the movie reminded me a lot of uh, The Wrestler, actually, because oh, yeah. um, it was very like sure. close and intimate. Um, and but then on you know, on a structural level, it's even like more, you know, it's in in the head and of um of Rizomed. and uh yeah i i adored this movie when i finished it i immediately was just like yeah it's one of my favorites of the year just kind of without i never for a second didn't think i would adore yeah. this movie also french dad he's great <laughs> oh um, he's, he's, one, he's like he's one of the best fucking characters he's like are you, honestly, about, are you talking about great. the diving bell you yeah. talking about the butterfly <laughs> you're talking yeah. about the bad guy from the best james bond movie mateus oh. something yeah Very he's from stuff. quantum of solace it's not a good movie Oh. Well, yes. um, who was that? And who I laughed think, like that. I mean, it was me. I, Sean, Bean, Sean Bean was in a lot of movies this year, but he was not in Sound of Metal. No, no, but he was True. a James Bond villain in Goldeneye. So I think thanks the, for the I th- up. I, I spiked that. I got you. I think also one of the like the most like interesting dramatic elements of the movie is is um, Rizamid's character like rejecting the lessons that he's learning. Yeah. Yeah, and he and like you know it happens like a lot later in the movie than you would think. You're just like, you're like, oh, he's learning. He's he's growing as a character. He's yeah. having an arc, and then the arc just like dies. And you're like, fuck. Yes, <laughs> which is like the it's kind of a relapse, the addictive really. nature of yeah. like yeah. the character, and it's it's it the the movie as a whole at the end of the day is just really good at taking the idea of there is no normal. And you shouldn't be treating people who are different than what you're used to as something that's abnormal or, or other than. than. Yeah. yeah, you shouldn't be treating them as an other because to other people, this is what it is. And it's yeah. learning to accept that. And that's kind of, you know, that's that's kind of the big struggle of this movie is being able to accept um, the position that you're put in and understand that, you know, maybe being deaf, like this movie treats um the deaf community like the x-men it's like no this is a superpower that you can get like this can unlock a lot of stuff and you can help a lot of people with this because you've got a big and good heart uh it's a yeah that's a the first time i watched the movie too was just like floored by almost every aspect of it robbie you were saying it's like the wrestler and i really like that comparison i hadn't thought about it like that and i agree and i would also offer that to our listeners if you really like Sound of Metal to check out her smell from 2019. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Sure. I find them to we be. We were saying that a lot pairs. last year too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Both very like intimate, you know, kind of looks at you know a bunch of different types of communities, but also like you know, kind of wrestling with like the weight of your career as well as like 
your health mm-hmm. and like yeah. how how sometimes the two can very much be at odds it's cool yeah and how you identify absolutely mm-hmm. also the first time i've seen a jism shirt in a movie so that's neat <laughs> oh, there you go there you go it is intense that that's the shirt he chooses to wear when he goes to the school. I'm like, yeah. dude, uh-huh. I've seen you wear other shirts. You should have put on the fine. Youth of Today shirt for when Look, you went to the school, man. Come on. Jism, good band, great job. You can wear another shirt when you go to the school. You could say. I think, but that's that's very much a punk thing. Yeah, I'm so many wear my sleeveless most offens- shirts. I'm going to wear my most offensive shirt in the most public. Yeah, planet. very socially deaf. You know, yeah. kind of speaks to like a, a greater theme of the movies. Him still trying to hold on to his old life, even, right? Even as yeah. his life is significantly changing, even if it's in yeah, small, it- subtle ways like costume design. Yeah, and Jeremy, I appreciate your use of uh, the term noise metal because that was kind of like the. I have friends that do a lot of noise metal bands, even like the one show type of things that we eventually see Olivia Cook's mm. character doing at one point. Slight spoilers, I guess. I get that's she does she's a musician, she does stuff. But it's like it's such a weird specific niche within a niche Brown within bread. a niche within a niche of like this kind of <laughs> underground community right. that I really like that I really think that it's to be a part of that niche community, you have to really care about it. Because you have to try really hard to get into it and to do the specific stuff that it's doing. And I think that by making that the genre, that's that the very specific genre of music that he's in, it creates a much more believable, like, it's not just as easy as giving up the drums. This is his identity. It's everything he's grabbed onto. Everything that he knows that keeps him stable is attached to this thing. It's his own part of the world that he's carved himself into. Exactly. Well, it's like it's yeah, well, his I'm, heartbeat is like the drums. Yeah. Plus, like you learn that he has only been clean as long, the same length of time that he's been in this duo performing with his girlfriend that sure. he's been with. So yeah. it's kind of all tied together. Anything else on Sound of Metal, guys? I know we went off on it because I think we all had something that we really wanted to say about it. And that that is like the movie that showed up on a lot of people's list. Um, shout out to to the hot takes episode um, that has um, Sophia uh, Sophia yeah. Kisto on it. Yeah, who she did a really great a job. Member of the Story Screen family who is currently studying education and ASL. Uh, she had a lot to bring to it. It's it's an insanely fantastic episode. It's one of the episodes. I'm not on it, but I'm really proud that it's on the channel because it's uh, insanely enlightening and very cool. Because yeah, you also agreed. got your boys on it over there. Well, we were we were fine on it, but it was a, it was a delight having Sophia on. She did a really good job. Uh, all right, so moving on, we are going to be uh, switching on over to Diana. Diana, come on, man, what pour, movie do you want to talk about? Pour Let's... me some more wine okay. before we talk about Portrait of a Lady <laughs> on Fire. Yeah. That's that's a that's a wine drinking movie yeah. and day it was, wine. It was very sad. A virtual it's cheers very... to you all. Yeah. yeah. Cheers. Yeah, it was very beautiful. Um I mean, you could say not a lot actually happens, but then a lot actually happens. Everything I, happens. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh I was psyched to read Jack's best of list and learn that he had sort of the same gut punch, sad, crying, but you know, cathartic experience that I had when I saw it. So it kind of really, right yeah, it really stuck with me having seen it back in February of 2020. And then Mike and I rewatched it uh, very recently and I felt like it still 
created that strong emotional response for me. So I was like, okay, this is on my best of. This is my number one for the for the year. It may be considered 2019 for critics, but we didn't get it till 2020. Those are the assholes so. that saw it at the, at the festival exactly. that Jeremy was talking about. Exactly. So. Yeah, exactly. I didn't get a screener, so nope. it's on my 2020. Um, and it's one of those movies that is really the strength of its characters. So those two main characters are what makes the movie and kind of there are a couple of side characters, but they're really the the landscape, the set design, kind of the lighting and the color palette are just as important because they kind of create this mood. If you're like Bern and I have talked both about liking kind of period type, you know, movies or pieces, but this is sort of a very different uh kind of cross between that and just like a, a love story in general so yeah yeah it's 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 a movie and like the the this is very much you know i i i definitely have a a, a specific taste for movies uh and this is definitely okay. not in my wheelhouse at all yeah, but okay. still it just it just hit me as such a perfect execution of of elegance in in cinema like when we talk about capital c cinema i feel like this movie is just the perfect execution of all all the things that that make that up like it's just such a movie that's so rich in texture both emotionally visually the sound like the the music the the sparse amount of music that's in it is is beautiful and the performances are just absolutely captivating in a way. And and yeah, it was also the last movie that I got to see in a theater before everything kind of hit the fan. Um, yeah. So it just just really stunned me in, in every way. Is that the case for all of us? Because that's, that, that's what I saw the last before the pandemic. I mean, before theaters shut down, yes, yeah. but... I've snuck into story screen to see some things while it's been closed. But yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. But for me, that was the last thing I saw when theaters were still open. Onward was like on the cusp for me. Yeah, that was me and and Robbie watched Onward. Because technically me and UD, when we watched Portrait of a Lady on Fire, it was just us because there was nothing else showing in the theater and we watched it together. But it that it it was still a normal world when we didn't know that was going to happen. Yeah. No, me and Robbie got together to watch uh, Onward because we were just like, we can't let it slip away. We need to see it. And <laughs> we didn't uh, we even were... record on it too, no, right? We, we were just, just... We... the pandemic was like just happening and yeah, we were like, let's just go watch Onward. And then you and I were like, that movie's really good. Fuck everyone who doesn't yeah. like that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like such an idiot that I didn't get that like Onward, moving on. That's what the, oh, <laughs> of course. Right. This is good emotional manipulation. Good yeah, on like you, a, Disney. I was like, oh, let's watch a movie in a movie theater. That'll be fun. Oh, daddy issues. Great. Oh, I love those. You do love those. Fantastic. Yeah. Great. Nah, that one's fun. Yeah, I think the fun. last- Doesn't get enough appreciation. <laughs> oh, your yeah. dad left. That's, that's great. Yeah. The last three movies cool. I saw in theaters were uh, Birds of Prey, Downhill, and then Onward. And I actually didn't watch Portrait of a Lady on Fire until you know a few months back. Oh, yeah. all right. Wow. So yeah, okay. Jack and I watched it together in Aww. theater two, and then we recorded <laughs> nice. in, in theater three. Yeah, it was probably it great. was probably the last podcast recorded in the theater. True. Yeah, true. That's probably true. You're what right. about Sonic the Hedgehog? Didn't that happen after Portrait? 
Uh, or rape before, know. maybe rape before. You know, Michael, uh, it was close. It was You're close. cutting into yeah. my time to talk about Portrait of the Lady on Fire. Oh, you got so much time to talk about Portrait <laughs> of the Lady. You don't want to talk about Sonic the Hedgehog? Oh. Sonic the Hedgehog. I didn't see that. Larry King did an impression. <laughs> no, yeah. Rest in peace. I like James Marsden, but I still didn't watch that. It's insane it's that not Larry good. King. <laughs> Larry King did everything that he did for what feels like a hundred years. And when he passed away on timely. I, I, the first thing I thought of was like, man, Sonic the Hedgehog. Remember his Sonic the Hedgehog uh, impression, no or what he, Sonic what he thought Sonic the Hedgehog, something he had never heard of before, would sound like. And he's just like, no one cares about me. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. So he nailed it. But yeah, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is a very beautiful movie. Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, <laughs> Jack talking about the texture. That's what I think about when I think about this movie. Is that everything has this insanely vibrant emotional texture to it. The sound, the visuals, everything. And it's everything that you want a movie to be. And it also happens to have one of the most beautifully sad stories that I've ever seen. And I have watched, especially in 2020. Yeah, a lot of good sad sad stuff, But nothing rocks me as hard as Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And specifically, it's it's final 15 minutes. Yeah, I think think part of the reason that I latched onto this movie so much initially too, is just that um, like undergrad. And then later on, I tried to go back to art school. Like I've taken a lot of painting classes and like life drawing classes. And I kind of have that soft spot for when you really have to pay attention to, to one object or person for such a long period of time and just that process. And then this whole plot of, trying to create a portrait of somebody without them knowing and just kind of like what you pay attention to, what makes its mark on you, um, like the painting as a way to create a person, but also your memory of somebody, your emotions around something is really cool. Um, and then, yeah, just that that exchange of them sharing music together and the effects of that is also very cool. Yeah. So, yeah. And it, Go ahead. Oh, no, no, go for it. I was going to say, Jack, you were saying, like, capital C cinema earlier. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, like, not only is this a, a an amazing film, like, very, very well done, but I think what struck me was that it makes a couple of choices throughout the film that are very unexpected and very mm. modern for the story it's telling. And that's what really captivated me. And I, I'd hate to even talk about them just because I think you should experience them. Um, but yeah, I was really surprised with the, how modern it made itself feel um, mm-hmm. in the concept of like still making sure that this was a period piece that was historically accurate and you didn't feel like you were taken out of the actual time period that it was taking place in, but the choices they made were so cool and smart and fresh. Yeah, it, it really has this kind of magical, timeless feel to it. Um, that is is classical and modern uh, simultaneously. Yeah, I yeah. think it's I think it's the most mature fairy tale I've ever seen. Yep. Well, it's kind of bookended by like reality when it rears its ugly head, right? Mm-hmm. Not yeah. to spoil it, but like you know yeah. when when you're not when you're outside the beginning of the movie and when you're on the inside of the end of the movie, that's when this this real powerful fairy tale that you know is really anchored by just women 
doing women's stuff, you know. There's a lot, there's even, a lot of women even, in this even movie. Even like, you know, but outside of like, you know, the 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 woman on fire and, and the woman who paints her, you know, there's other characters and in, in correction. Yeah. It's, like, it's a lady that's on fire, by the way. Good point. Valid. <laughs> um, but you know, it deal it deals a lot with like, you know, just I don't even want to say like the problems that women can have, but just kind of like you know, there's a there's a moment in this home where it's just women, and it's and yep. like how they yep. deal with things, and how they solve each other's problems, and how they have empathy for one another, and how they become become a coven, and how they love, and it's and it's and it's so unique in the way that it does those things, and then it it becomes nightmarish by the end when reality has to set in, and and you know a time is running out, and that's it's it's very powerful. Um, it is like definitely it's 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 high art. It's probably like. It's like in the same way where I think like Roma was the best movie of the year. The year it came out, I'm like, this is probably like the best, like you know, the mm-hmm. best movie. It's probably the best movie of the year, you know. And then you have your favorites or or otherwise. But I I think it's easy to say it's the best movie of the year. But even as like a, a high art sort of thing, like I think, and, and Roma had this as well. Like there is sort of a barrier sometimes to high art like that, I guess. But the story here and the the emotional impact of of this romance, I thought, was so yeah perfectly beautifully told and so so beautifully acted by the by the two leads that like there is there was no barrier and that's the kind of barrier that would normally for me especially like I spoke to my taste before like the, something like Roma I can see that that's the best movie of the year but it might not land as heavily for me specifically and this one had both and it just yeah completely, I hear like, that. Knock my socks sure. off. Yeah. Uh, that, oh, no, please. The last thing I wanted to mention, this is kind of different to the conversation, but I, I, I like how in the way that it's sort of classical and timeless weaves in the story of uh, Orpheus. Um, and, yeah, Eurydice. Uh, yeah. And Eurydice. Yeah, thank you. Um, and like kind of like brings that idea, the, 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 the story of like the idea of a person as well. Um, right. As much of like the actual person themselves. And how that is like it's something that haunts these characters, especially you know in in the end without giving anything away. Well said. Um, yeah. Like it 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 all just comes together in, in such a perfect way. I think. Agreed. Yeah. Right on. Very good. Yeah, and I I was gonna say um, quickly that it, it's an unfortunate comparison because of the specifics involved in it, but I think that it's also a reason why a lot more of these uh, types of stories should be told because I think this is something that's in there. And I'm not saying the thing that is the most special about Portrait of a Lady on Fire is, is the fact that it is about a um, gay relationship, but it reminds me of this movie has a lot of the things that are missing from a lot of romance movies that I also found in Call Me By Your Name, mm. where there's a sincerity to these types of things. And I don't think that sincerity is linked to the fact that we are dealing with a same sex relationship, but rather that same sex relationships just feel so much more uh, demanding of attention and respect at like Mm -hmm. the creation level that you're not just like, this summer, the girl from the office is going to fall in love with Seth Rogen. And then it's like, you know, it's like, there's, and even more serious stuff like your dear Johns and your notebooks and everything. Like there's a lot of timeless classic love stories that are coming out that I feel like a lot haven't been coming out in the past couple of years. And the two that really come to mind are Portrait of Lady on Fire and Call Me By Your Name. And I think we all agreed on Call Me By Your Name a couple of years ago that, you know, the the fact that the two characters were the same sex in that 
wasn't really the thing that made their relationship so interesting. It was the connections that they had. The fact mm-hmm. that they are the same sex created these uh, obstacles around yeah. them that you were expecting and call me by your name kind of subverts those expectations by kind of changing it and having those um, objects not be in the way. Right. Whereas Portrait of a Lady on Fire kind of does the same thing, but is is introducing those objects in a more... Um, a totalitarian worldly way it's you have an island of women and everything is fine they can take care of one another and they're happy and then as soon as the outside world comes in both in the form of a ghostly man that we never see and a motherly figure who is domineering and follows the rules of the old world it kind of takes it out so it's it's just a it's nice to see romance movies being good because i feel like it's a genre that's not very good these days mm. Very good meat cube. This one is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah my favorite, my favorite meat cube of the year. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> to be a very interesting companion piece to the lighthouse. Ooh. Okay. Mm. Into that. It, it has a. Funny enough, even though they're so different from each other in in their filmmaking and uh, their their subject matter, that it they have a lot in common. In, in a lot of fun ways you can decipher and that well it's like at the end of the day the lighthouse is about two men stuck on an island and yeah, yeah it's my other kind of, favorite recent romance movie in, yeah in a way it, it kind of is yeah and if, no i'm not joking yeah, <laughs> yeah, and how, how it how it relates to uh loneliness and togetherness and how it also um speaks to like greek mythology totally in, in yeah, they they're very interesting companion pieces to each other, and I was I was thinking about that a lot. Oh, that's a great double feature. I'm gonna yeah, do that. I might, yeah, I might the do that also. <laughs> I'm doing that. No, I'm doing that like at the theater. Like that Ooh, is gonna okay. happen. I'm, I'm that's, that's pretty, that's I would watch good. that for sure. Who did Portrait of a Lady on Fire? It wasn't Neon. That was Neon. Was it Neon? It was Neon. A24 and Neon. They're in the pocket together. I got them. Mm-hmm. I can do this. Told you, Kiss, Neon. Kissing neon is my new best friend. Um, does anybody else have anything else to say on Portrait of a Lady on Fire? It's on Hulu, so if you haven't seen it, watch it. Oh, yeah. Great movie. Watch it again and again and again. Make your parents watch it. True. Yeah, sure. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Watch it with your parents. If no. you have... No, if you have... Just if make you your have parents watch it. Honestly, it's, that's not, like, too terrible of a movie to watch with your parents. Like, it, no, it's, it's not. It's, it's subject matter with, with like, a lot of class. There's a There's an armpit scene that I would not want to watch with my parents. I mean, maybe, but... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Even the armpit scene. I can see is watching that movie with my mom. Yeah. 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 I just think it's the elegant. way that, but the way that it starts, you're just like, "What's happening?" <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, "Oh, it's okay." If you watch, if you watch a movie on Hulu and you have the uh, advertisement supported one, what ha- does it interrupt no. the movie no. with? No. It does not. Okay, it good. opens okay. with an cool. ad, but then the movie okay. just plays. It probably opens. In- okay, cool. That's then cool. I can yes, watch it on Hulu then. Moving on. Uh, We've talked about the amazing sincerity of Sound of Metal, the graceful texture of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Robbie Anderson, please introduce the next movie that you would like to talk about and why. The film that was pitched to me was by my good friend Mike Birch. He was like, it's the most Robbie Anderson movie I've ever Mm -hmm. seen. And, and, And in many ways, it's like, what does that mean? What does that mean to be the most Robbie movie? What is, even is a Robbie movie? And it's you hard to tell you what it is. 
<laughs> it's hard to tell you what it is, but you know it when you see it. I'm here to talk about motherfucking Buck Boy. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> It's always interesting when when you have a friend kind of like size you up, right? And be like, oh, like, I think you would really <laughs> dig this. And sometimes like that can be hit or miss because you're just like, you don't fucking know what I like. Yeah. Uh, but apparently I'm pretty easy to fucking figure out because, yeah, <laughs> Buff Boy is Robbie AF. Holy shit, I love this movie. Uh, the, the plot, the synopsis. Um, which I didn't even know going in. So like, you know, it's even better to maybe not just, know it going in. I maybe think. just like, don't fucking listen to what I'm saying. But for the yeah. sake of conversation, uh, a mystery is afoot. A man <laughs> is things are missing animals, <laughs> items, children, nowhere to be found, but all trails lead to the bottom to a man named chips ass. And there's only one drunken detective <laughs> that can figure it out. Uh, the movie is played so straight, for, even despite having the most like level one hundred insane concept at all times, and it reminds me of like films like Brick, where it uses genre to like kind of like condense insanity into something that we can watch and understand. Uh, and beyond just this insane premise, it's acted well, it's directed very well, it has amazing music, it's shot fucking great. And it even gets to, like, go to places that are, like, surreal. It even leaves the confines of being grounded for as insane as a movie it get, as it is. Uh, it was my favorite movie of the year until I watched Promising Young Women, um, Promising Young Woman, which I, I chose not to talk about in this episode um, because I wanted to talk a little bit more about Butt Boy. Uh, Promising Young Woman is my favorite movie of the year. It's neck Woo! and neck with Butt Boy, though. Uh, I fucking love Butt Boy. Uh, I have nothing but respect for my troops, but boy, and it's just, it's just the fucking best. It's the fucking best movie. It kicks ass. It's just on Amazon Prime for you to fucking watch, you idiot. Just watch it. It's just right there. You'll feel violated. You'll feel, you'll feel strong. You'll feel I like went the strongest fucker in the room. You could fight. You're on an airplane. You watch Butt Boy. You could fight the pilot and just start flying the plane. You'll be so crash fucking the plane. <laughs> don't crash the plane. No, um, don't do that, everyone. It, I disagree. I disagree. Five minutes into Butt Boy, I, I went into Butt Boy's side on scene just because, Robbie, you said that you wanted it to be one of the movies that we discuss for this podcast. Yes. So I was just like, all right, I'm just going to throw Butt Boy just on, not even read the synopsis or anything. And it took about five minutes before I was like, oh, okay, this is why Robbie picked it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then and then about maybe 15, 20 minutes in during the diner scene, Robbie, yes. is when it hit me that I was like, Oh, these guys are taking a lot of their influence from Tim and Eric's bedtime stories. Yes, oh, which is yeah. which is my <laughs> my favorite project that I think that Tim and Eric have have worked on. And I've talked about Tim and Eric a lot on these podcasts. I I am a huge Tim and Eric fan. Um, but they 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 are doing that sort of uh, absurdist premise that they just commit to and play. 100 percent straight and go back and watch that have you seen sauce boy robbie the, no, the I seen Soft okay Soft watch boy. sauce boy and then go okay. back and watch that diner scene in in butt boy mm. and you can see the like the the mannerisms that the cop is doing in that scene like the kind of like facial sort of contortions that he's doing yeah. and like the greasy slicked back hair is a hundred percent tim heidecker and then chips chips like monotone like very uh straight delivery of everything is eric wareheim to <laughs> i can see i can like see it now in my mind yeah and, the, and i and i think they nailed it flick, they nailed yeah. they nailed they nailed that tone all the way through in a way that 
you know, as soon as I picked up on it, I was like, oh, this is what they're going for. And I think, you know, it's, it's, I, I am often very like sensitive to like when I'm like, okay, this is just like biting that sort of thing. But this, mm. I think was the perfect way that they, they really nailed like taking something like that and running with it and doing a feature length film, well, which is something has, Ted and Eric have not done. It has stakes, right? Like yes. it has stakes. It has consequences. Yes. Like it, it, you're on the edge, edge of your seat. You're like, Oh wow. I'm like, and even when it has like reveals that like can feel cliche, you're just like, but of course, but right. of course yeah. this is where this is, but of course this is but where it has course. to be. But yes. of course. Yeah. It's I, like, I think it's it, no, no, you're no, you're totally fine. Um, yeah, and I think that's like I could see this movie like really landing with people. I can see people all being all over the spectrum with this movie, and I would totally understand. I see it really not landing with people. Also, I, well, I could see it really going over people's heads and kind of being like, "It's just kind of dumb," you know? It's a butt joke, and I'm like, "Of course it's dumb." Yes, that's yes, the point. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's kind of fucking it's stupid. Really, it's, it's really funny, funny so when you good. take very dumb things very seriously. When you put a lot of money into a stupid idea. Sometimes it's great. <laughs> yeah, uh, I really liked. Almost all of it, except for yeah. the way Tyler, uh, the director of the film, I'm blanking on mm. his last name, but the way he plays Chip is so frustrating. It's like, put that fucker in jail just for being himself. <laughs> like, even if he didn't do anything <laughs> wrong. Like, really it's so hard to, like, get behind him. And I'm like, how did a woman marry him? <laughs> like, well, not, said, I mean, she's that's not happy no. about it. Yeah. They address, no, they address not, that in the movie. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. it seems like... Yeah. But yeah, like, Ooh. overall, I really enjoyed it. And yeah, I would say that there definitely are stakes because there's a choice towards the end of the film that I was, like, heartbroken that they made. But it also made sense. But I was yeah. like, why did it have to happen that way? And it made me very sad. And I was like, am I sad about Butt Boy? This is absurd. Yeah, you, you <laughs> things. Yeah. This is what I was going to say before. Sound bite. Like, I love Tim and Eric, too. Don't get me wrong. But one of the things that I've always been so afraid of with Tim and Eric is that they're going to be isolated to um, the types of stuff that they do. At, like, Eric Wareheim has made some beautiful music videos doing the same things that I think butt boy is doing, taking things that are dumb and over the top and presenting them with this like sincere exploitative nature that just creates this new beauty that you've never seen before. Um, but things like, you know, Tim and Eric's million dollar movie. Look, I like it. It's fine. Yeah, it is but it's not, not a bad, no, it's no. not a bad take to call that movie unwatchable. <laughs> sure. It is, it's, that's sure. it is what it is. But that's also why I'm specifically saying Tim and Eric's bedtime stories. Because sure. Exa- Tim yeah, and, and Eric's bedtime is- stories are like them making short films where they're taking absurd concepts and treating them with gravity and respect. Yes. And that's what Butt Boy is doing. That's and that's the thing that's like the most impressive about Butt Boy is that it's, it's one joke. Yes. The movie is one single joke. Yes. And they just stretch it out, uh, for lack of a better term. <laughs> Sorry. You're really loose back here. And it's Ooh. just insane. I was I remember there's a there's a moment towards the end of the film that I won't be too specific on that involves laser tag. And I remember watching the movie and just being like, This is heaven. I'm in heaven right now. Yeah. I was Marco, Michael Clark Duncan from the Green Mile. I was like, this is heaven. This is absolutely perfect. And then it does something else that I did not see coming at all. Yeah. I thought I was no. watching the end of the movie. <laughs> no. And then the movie's like, no, no, 
we would like to also do this, please. And I go, <laughs> I don't know if I want you to. And then the movie holds me down and makes me watch the rest of it. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. Um, the it's laser tag scene is also when it, it elevated from me being like, this is so amazing to the laser tag scene. I was just like, this is it. It made me think yeah. of the guest. This is it. For sure. It, oh. It's a lot like the guest. Yeah. I was watching it and I was thinking about a joke. Uh, 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 like you've seen Drive, right? Drive. Yeah. You like Drive? Familiar with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's just the whole movie. Uh. <laughs> a perfect ending too. I loved the ending. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's a fantastic movie. I hope people really give it a shot. And, uh, I, you know, I showed the trailer to, to my partner and one of her friends and they were like, this looks fucking cool. And I was like, all right, yeah. so maybe like it can have like mainstream appeal I think it's or just you, know, you don't have to be enough. a crazy person. Yeah. It's yeah. just goofy. Everybody can get the fun, you know, maybe not everybody can get what's funny about the Hey Mama <laughs> skit of Tim and Eric <laughs> It is very funny and it's a masterpiece and will live forever beyond all of us. When we are bone, it will be God. But I think anybody can look at Butt Boy and go, is a serial killer put stuff up his butt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm into that. Oh, sure. man. I just love to see people take that influence and, and run with it in, in new ways, in creative ways. And I think they, they nailed it with this one. Yeah. I just, I, you know, I really, I, I think I really love things that flex on genre. I think that's kind of like the mark of like what a Robbie movie is in a lot of ways. Like, um, and I also am a sucker for neon lights and synth wave music. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Music and is great. And, hey, and that's all? fine. We all? That's yeah. fine. Right. <laughs> that's it okay. looks really okay. good. There's some, there's some great shots in it's, this movie. And that's the other thing too, is like the movie understands like brick, like Ryan Johnson, yeah. he, they, he understands what he's doing and what makes those movies work, which is why he's able to get away yeah. with what he's doing and i love jack's phrase too and i wish that i could make quotes that made it on the back of blu-rays because i think you nailed it is a great in quotes big block <laughs> letters on the back of the blu-ray you really hit the nail on the head <laughs> bullseye yeah. nice. great, job. great job everybody nice i'll, I'll do the thing that yeah. i did earlier too to our listeners if you like butt boy you should check out the wolf of snow hollow which is like a more grounded oh, version yeah. of butt boy <laughs> yeah Hmm. That's, a, that's an interesting yeah I, I really like Wolf of Snow Hollow that's me yeah. too yeah. yeah I think that movie fucking yeah, rocks I, I liked Wolf of Snow Hollow yeah <laughs> did that make it onto any of our lists Wolf of Snow Hollow mine yeah it's on I think it's on me and Burns yeah. it, it like just got pushed Burn yeah it's like my number 11 yeah I really I did really like it I had to keep that one on there that was one like the Invisible Man that I was just like look I'm gonna watch this movie a lot I know well, that it has residual Jim Cummings energy, so you had yeah. to keep it on there as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's also kind of the thing where it's like, it'll never make the top because it will never be Thunder Road. But also, it's made by the guy that did Thunder Road, so it has power that yes. makes it kind of invulnerable <laughs> to other things, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yes. Well, like Sound of Metal, too, it it really handles addiction in a very poignant and new way, which is cool. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. It's very, and the structure is so, you know, they present things in Wolf of Snow Hollow that you're like, that'll pay off in the third act. And they're like, no, no, we're going to pay it off right now at minute 15. And I'm like, oh, 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 OK. Mm-hmm. I thought we were and also then talking about like, addiction and butt boy, which yes, this is relevant yes. to all those movies. Also true. Actually. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Also true. <laughs> yes. I want to throw out there. Jeremy down there? No, no, it's, 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 it's fine. 
I wish I was on board with Butt though. You guys were, but uh, it took me like I'm like kind of on the edge, but I really liked that detective and the colors and He's the film. Good. So. <laughs> I could say the same thing, but you know that's that's just me. So it's mad respect. And the office uh, space levels I, of like the place where Chip works, like really oh, yeah. going off those strong office space vibes, yeah. which I really yeah. enjoyed. And similar to like Sorry to Bother You too, it was really pulling a Definitely. lot of things for me. Well, it's like Sorry to Bother You, but like mundanity, mundanity kind of creating a villain, yeah. right? Like it's, it's cool. It's it's cool movie. Yeah, man. it had a lot going <laughs> for it cool for sure. It's a cool movie. I want to throw out there before we move on, Mike, because yeah. you mentioned the stuff that Eric Wareheim has directed before. Mm-hmm. He is having his directorial debut this year. He is he is directing a movie this year called Jaunty. So I'm I'm excited for that one. Hell yeah. It's gonna be good. He's uh his um it's gonna be Beach House gonna music be video is one the one that always really comes to mm-hmm. mind. With Ray Wise that I wa- Yeah, I watched the movie, I watched the music video not knowing it was Eric Wareheim. Uh, I don't know how it got away from me, but I was just like, ooh, Beach House. Yeah, I like them. I'm I'm a fucking 32-year-old white boy. I love Beach House. <laughs> and I watched it, and I'm just like, this is a great music video. It's so weird and kooky. Who did this? And I thought it was Eric Wareheim. And it's like when you it's like when you uh, read uh, someone you went to high school with like uh, murders a bunch of people in South Dakota. You're like, I went to high school with that guy. It was kind of like – it kind of felt like that. <laughs> I know that guy. It's that guy. Uh, <laughs> moving on. Uh, unfortunately, now it's my turn uh, to talk about a movie that I really like, um, but I'm not exactly sure how many of us uh, have seen it because it is, unfortunately, I've seen it. A really long movie. I've also movie. seen it. Oh, okay, good. So uh, I'm talking. I'm talking. I'm talking that beam pole, baby. Um, beam pole uh, is a fantastic, fantastic fantastic movie that was kind of circulating around the um, cinema lover stratosphere um, kind of closer to the beginning of last year. It was uh, one of those movies that was very tentatively screamed at festivals in 2020 to try and get picked up and eventually did get picked up uh, and had a very brief run in like March right before everything got shut down. And I wasn't able to catch it. Uh, or book it. I, I had planned on trying to book it, but wasn't able to. And then finally sat down to watch it um, pretty late. It was one of my January watches to catch up on stuff. And this was at a time where I already had, I don't make my list until I cut off entry. I stop watching movies and I'm like, now I know what's going on. Um, and I watched Bean Pole and I kind of knew what my top five was looking like. And this movie just blasted right in there for me. Um, there is a stylism in this movie that, uh, quite frankly, I haven't seen in a long time. Um, it is fantastic. Uh, at many In a lot of the same ways that we were talking about um, Sound of Metal uh, or The Vast of Night where it's like everything about it, the style, the technique, the acting, the sound, everything about it is so impressive and fun to watch them mess around with and keep growing and changing and shifting and doing different things uh, that I was just blown away by it. And it it is a, um, you know, it is a foreign language 
film uh, that is two and a half hours long. It costs five bucks on Amazon. It's not available for streaming anywhere. It, it's a very hard recommend to sell, um, but I can't recommend it enough more than anything else. It's It was the movie in my top five that I was really struggling with trying to it ended up at number four, but I was just like, this is like one of the best movies I've ever seen. This needs to be higher than that. But it was going up against things like Sound of Metal, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. It, it was going up against these heavy hitters that my type, my top five will change for the rest of my life. Um, but Beanpole is a movie about uh, sadness and um how we respond to sadness and how we can help one another and the things that happen to us when we are taken advantage of and might even be aware of it the entire time. But we just think that that's what we're supposed to do. Um, while also there is a lot of um, heavy kind of military talk in there that kind of connected with me more from the most on my military time than almost any other movie I've ever seen. And it's a completely different time period and country. Um, but there is a, an abandonment that I've always felt afterwards um, that I think that this movie really kind of personifies perfectly and very quietly and not over the top. It's, it's a very small part of the movie uh, that feeds into everything else. Um, loved being Paul. What do you guys think about it? I'll let you speak on I it. I haven't Diana. seen it, but I think I need to see it now. Yeah, it's very good. Um, yeah, I would say I feel like it. It's a bigger part of the movie than you than you say. Totally. Um, like it is very much a post-war movie. It's also like a. It's also a communism movie. It's like it's dealing with kind of this idea of like, yeah, you served your country, but you're seen as poor or unskilled or you're sort of broken because it's these two people that do clearly both have PTSD in some form from being in, in a war, but are bonded because of it. And it's just as much of a love story as Portrait of a Lady on Fire, but it's way more fucked up. <laughs> it's just like sure. a lot more manipulative um, and sort of like the extent you'll go to to try and be with somebody or give them what they want or fulfill somebody else's needs. Um, and yeah, it's really interesting. But yeah, like you said, it's it's also like the color palette the scenery from like starkness to like really rich color um is really extreme and the two characters without having ever seen them in anything else they're awesome they're, they're really insane. good like they're they, so good they I, sell the movie for sure it's insane it a lot like the vast of night it's just insane yeah. how good these two are and you know when you get done watching this movie or even while you're watching it you're just kind of like shit, I need to look up what else this person's been in because I want to see them in everything only to discover that Beanpole is pretty much the only thing on their IMDb list. And there's also like a a bizarro Russian version of Daniel Day-Lewis. There's Russian Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> As in the doctor in this. Like you're just like, damn, is that Daniel Day-Lewis? No. He's an amazing He's awesome. actor on his own. I swear to God, it is Daniel Day-Lewis doing some weird retirement shit. Um, yeah, I was going to say, he's he's not technically acting anymore, so I maybe think, he's just... I Seriously, it's not a bit. I think it's him. I think he lost like he's 25 pounds. Andy and he's Kaufman-ing like, it? 
No. Yeah. yeah. My name is. Uh, it's kind of like when Tilda Swinton played that fake actor in uh, Suspiria from right. a few years ago, where they're just like, he's just a. That's just an actor that we found, don't you know? Yeah. Is is Tilda Swinton in Beanpole, or am I getting confused? No, but it, the actress she does look, look like her. her though, right? Okay, because I saw yeah. the poster for it, and I was like, I is thought that it was Tilda her Swinton? too. Yeah. yeah. Poster two for Beanpole, if I may, is one of the weirdest things to have as your production as you're marketing yeah because you're watching the movie and that does not happen for a while and when it does you're like that's what you put on the poster it's yeah. very weird it's certainly evocative. it's very weird mm-hmm. it's very evocative it, it has a look that kind of will either um push you away or draw you in depending on where you're at um, yeah, love Beanpole. Very happy that you guys liked it. Well, this movie is definitely a movie that I had been meaning to see, but I was very glad to have watched it, but also very angry that I was made to watch yeah. it for this podcast because of right? how big of a bummer it was. <laughs> like, it's such a bummer. Oh my gosh. It's such a bummer. It's kind of why I've stayed away. It's, like, it's I rough. will watch it. But, um, yeah, but, yeah, it's long and sad. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> and I, I hope that I was clear on the recommendations with being pulled to people where I was like, look, I really like it and I want you to watch it, but it's long. It's sad. Like I said, you love and monsters. To. Yeah. It's good to have one upper among the many very good, very sad movies of 2020. Yeah, I, I do like movies, though, that uh, try to figure out what it means to be a woman. And I think being yeah. pulled does that very well. And so while I was very depressed watching this movie, I was very captivated with the story it was telling and trying to figure out these characters. And it has such a small cast. It almost feels like it could be a play adapted for a film. And I'm always drawn to movies that are adapted from stage plays. So this definitely had a very like tight, intimate feel to it and still had as I was mentioning with Portrait of a Lady on Fire, it had some very big surprises that I did not see coming, which, of course, like, films want to keep you on the edge of your seat, like, by their very nature. But I was very surprised that Beanpole had so many things in in the pocket that I wasn't aware of. And so it was very fresh to feel all of these plot changes, you know, unfold in front of me. And it didn't feel like two and a half hours even though it was very sad, it didn't feel long to me. They covered yeah. a lot of ground in that yeah, time it, span. It, it keeps going and keeps twisting and changing kind of direction of what it wants to do. I love its sharing of uh, f- uh, focal points between the two main characters yes. where you're like, you know, the movie's called Beanpole. There's a character named Beanpole. That's the main character, but it very much becomes also um, the secondary character's story as well from time to time. Uh, which can make Beanpole's story even sadder. Um, I'd love to also mention that this is, uh, it's uh, directed by um, uh, Kantemir Balagov, who is a extremely young uh, filmmaker who has exploded onto the scene now. And the, Beanpole actually, of all things, landed him the gig with HBO, uh, show running and mainly directing The uh, the Last of Us uh show that they're doing on HBO. Well, it sounds like that's not that far of a stretch, no? No, it's not. And it's yeah. it's insane that it's like... I thought that was Craig if, uh, Mason from... He's writing and producing. He's writing I and producing. Okay, yeah, this gotcha. guy, he's gonna, he's coming in to do like the main directing gig. And it's, it's interesting that 
The Last of Us HBO show started out with the least interesting thing you could ever tell me, which is like they're doing a Last of Us show on HBO. And I'm like, I don't I don't care about that. Not I, necessary. I yeah. have the video yeah. games. I don't need that. And then they're like yeah, they're the perfect. Chernobyl guys writing it. And I'm like, all right. Well, I mean, I, I haven't seen Chernobyl yet. I'm waiting to get to it, but I hear that's good. And then they're like, it's probably going to be. Uh, like Nicholas Lendo Wisser or whatever is going to play Joel. And I'm like, that looks Who, really good. That Joel? sounds nice. They, the guy that played, they, um, they, haven't they haven't cast it yet, but he's, he's like the forerunner. The guy that played, um, Nicholas, Jamie Lannister Nicholas in Castor HBO. Waldo. Yeah. Oh, Nicholas, yeah. I could see that. Well, he's also that. in this movie called the silencing from last year, which is a pretty good movie, but is definitely a low scope, um, cast me as Joel in this movie. Like he took the part to put on the role and play the personification of him so that they could, he essentially had a, another studio pay for his reel to give to HBO to play the part. Cause, and he will be very good, but then they land um, Balagov as uh, the director. And I'm just kind of like, now I will, I will watch this forever. And it could be the worst thing in the world regards to how I feel about last of us. But now I will at least like the directing. How old is he? Uh, dude, he's got to be young. He looks he's, young. I, I saw a picture of him. I would say like upper thirties, maybe he, early. Yeah, 40s. he was born in 2018, um, so he's he's three <laughs> years old. No, he was uh, born oh. in 91. So oh, 91. Yeah, so oh, he's, he's my age. He's your age, what? Robbie. Yeah. What are you doing? Dirty 30. Fucking, this, we're this fucking bullshit. recording podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> Warm up Bernie Sanders sweater. <laughs> oh, I guess no, I should say, what is this guy doing? Like, you're over here really just reeling it in. Killing yeah, really it. Killing it. Really hit the nail on the head. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great sweatshirt, by the way, Robbie. <laughs> Thank you. It's a knockoff, but I donated to the same charity when I got Excellent. it. Excellent. You got to get it yeah. where it's going, man. Stock market. Yeah. Uh, anybody anything else on Beanpole for everybody? Robbie, you're going to watch it? I would. I All the movies that I haven't seen on this list, I have plans to watch. Yes. You're going to watch it. Jack, you're going to watch it? Yep. <laughs> Jeremy? Yeah. I'm watching it right you're, now. No, yeah, you're going to watch it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll watch it. Because I'm going to follow up with everybody yeah. in a couple months. Oh, good. And there's going to be a why if the answer isn't something I don't like. Where, where, uh, Amazon. It's Amazon. Uh, Amazon. You just uh, throw it a good four ninety nine. Sure. Support a good boy. Yeah, okay. A good four ninety nine. Uh, yeah. Let's uh, let's move on. Bernadette Gorman White. Mm-hmm. Up next, you want to talk about a movie? Come on. What's the movie? Why? Well, again, this is like <laughs> a palate cleanser for what we were just discussing. Um, so this one doesn't need as much of an introduction as David Byrne's American Utopia, because I feel like this was a pretty well-received movie and a lot of people probably watched it just because of the name recognition but um what i want to talk about is the hulu release uh starring andy samberg palm springs um written by andy sierra directed by max barbacow uh those are two men that i'm not familiar with but now i'm very interested to see what they do next because i really liked palm springs i feel like most listeners are probably aware of what Palm Springs is about, but if you don't, um, people are calling it, you know, Groundhog's Day Part 2. So it's got Groundhog Day, like, sen- sentimentalities for sure. Um, it stars Andy Samberg, as I mentioned before, and he plays a character who is 
you know, trapped in a time loop. And you find out pretty quickly why he's trapped in that time loop and how he got there. And it's uh, a day of a wedding, of all things. So he's trapped there with a girlfriend that he's not really into anymore, especially after the events of the day just keep happening and happening. But the twist here with this time loop film is that Kristen Milioti, who is phenomenal in this film, uh, she is kind of like the love interest the foil for Andy Samberg and then she too gets trapped in the time loop movie so the reasons why I really like this film and I had to keep remembering and reminding myself as I was writing my list was that a it came out during the summer and granted like story screen opened up the drive-in during the summer and that was a lot of fun but I really enjoyed just like a fun movie that made me very happy uh, in the midst of like getting used to the idea of what the lockdown meant like it kind of came along the the lines when we were like finally starting to like get into our groove of what we were doing and so I'm sure this movie was in the works long before we were all kind of stuck in our own time loops indefinitely during the lockdown but it was like a very fresh take to have a a female character or just a love interest in general it doesn't have to be a man and a woman, but just the idea of these two people being trapped in this mundane, which they make very fun, but like the repetition of day after day after day. I found that when I would watch like Groundhog Day or other time loop films, it felt very like it just wasn't inclusive enough for me. And I felt like most of the time when I look back on those films, even though they're fun, the person caught in the time loop is kind of gaslighting everyone around him. And that never really like jived with me. And I think maybe it's because I'm a woman that watching those movies always felt like it it had like a wall up for me. So it's a little bit predatory. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And so the idea of making sure that the romantic interest also gets trapped and they get to understand each other on their own same page felt very fresh and important to me, especially along the lines of how they try to solve to get out of this problem and who is compelled to get out of this problem. And so I was really drawn to the film, A, because I really liked the subject material, but B, it's also really funny and the screenplay is really tight and the needle drops are very good. So I really liked how fresh it looked and how fun it was and it made me really happy. And I think I probably saw films that I thought were possibly better films later on in the year. But I had to keep reminding myself, like, remember how happy you were when you watched Palm Springs and how, like, excited you were once that movie was over and how you instantly wanted to watch it again? Like, it was just a really fun time. And so I think it was number three on my list. So it definitely stood the test of time for me. And I think it's a movie too that I'll go back and watch again and again. Yeah, it's another one of those like ironic things like Tenet being yes. about masks is like one of the first big <laughs> movies to come out is like about living the same day over and over and over again stuck in the same place and you're just kind of like they made this movie a year ago to come out when it came out. And it's just like, it's one of those like perfect just distillations of this will just work right now. Like this, everyone can connect to this. And 
Palm Springs is like the type of movie for me where I really enjoyed watching it, but the, the, the fact, like how it's connections to everything going on will always be connected to it. And they just make it so much better. Like it's already very good. It's a great comedy, but the fact that it came out and that it was like this kind of universally shared connection of like fun wacky stupid let's just like relax and aren't movies fun to talk about it became that on social media like everybody you were out of the conversation if you hadn't seen palm springs you know within like a couple weeks of it coming out yeah i had a water cooler talk right yeah. and in that and that was cool yeah i i uh <clears throat> Berna and i did the uh the epi- the hot take on on palm springs and i remember we were both like super jazzed about it um, it was also a movie that when I finished it, I like I watched it the next day. I like I never do that with movies. I'm, like, I'm just gonna watch it again. Um, it's so funny and and yeah, and it looks great. And I really, it, it's another and I think I, you know another reason I liked it and, and similar to why I like Butt Boy. It's like it's a flex on genre and it's using like the Groundhog Day story. And I watched like Russian Doll this year, and I guess I can't get fucking enough. I really <laughs> like Russian Doll as well. I like Russian Doll. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Russian Doll's cool. And um, <laughs> but I and I really like this movie and. It reminds me, uh, and, that, and I watched um, Eurovision much later after seeing Palm Springs, but Eurovision really reminded me of, of like uh, a Step Brothers type movie, a Will Ferrell vehicle, but really like elevated and a lot more like sophisticated than some of those other movies in like that genre. And Palm Springs also reminds me of like, it's Lonely Island. It's that type of humor. It's SNL sketch, but it's really elevated. Like it's really like tightened to like such a like good degree and it's so fun while also like you know having meaningful characters and discussing nihilism and like you know wrestling with purpose and it's still really funny you know like it's such a it's it's a really kick-ass movie um and yeah it i think if anything like it just makes you feel good when you watch it and for i think for as relevant as it was at the beginning of the pandemic of like trying to come to terms with living the same day over and over again i think the themes of leaving that scenario and coming out of that scenario and the the comfort that you eventually come to find in that sort of repetition and the safety there is something that's going to continue to be relevant as maybe i don't know maybe things start to turn around and we have to go back to normal life and like i don't yes i see you shaking your head mike and i agree probably not we're all but dead at some dude. Point, don't even worry about maybe, it it's okay maybe but at some point like okay if if the reality of it doesn't happen the anxiety of having to return to our normal life i yeah. think is something that is already like hitting uh me specifically like i like i it's hard for me to imagine going back to the way things are were before i mean i i'm fortunate enough that you know i I, i'm in a position where i'm pretty comfortable doing this and uh the thought of like coming out of this is 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 somewhat anxiety inducing yeah i also really love um as you were saying like the idea of coming out of that is i think what really troubles people when it comes to any type of like long-term relationship and i think people Mm -hmm. worry that if they are in a long-term relationship, it might become stale. Or if they are invested in a long-term relationship, how is that going to feel if things do start taking a turn for the worst and then they have to deal with that hurt afterwards? And there's a lot going into how to make long-term relationships work. 
and I touch on this in my write-up on Palm Springs, but I do find in recent media, a lot of the conversations around monogamy, especially people in their 30s slash 40s who are starting to like get to the kids phase of their relationship, I find a lot of the conversation veers towards like monogamy is bad or monogamy is like stifling. And I think sometimes it's a little unhip to just be like very comfortable in a monogamous relationship when it comes to media portrayal. And I find that Palm Springs works very well for the the conversation around like, what does it mean to choose the same person every day? And what type of like emotional maturity does that take? It's very risky, but they argue it very well that it's, you know, sometimes more of like the punk rock thing to do is to take that leap of faith and work with that same person every single day, even though it's scary and, you know, you don't know what's going to happen next. And I think Palm Springs handles that conversation really well. Yeah, it's the the it's the ketchup condiment uh, factor. Where it's like ketchup is like the thing that everybody does, so it's not cool to eat ketchup. But it's like, no, but ketchup is also the thing that everybody likes and it works on just about everything. So it's not uncool just because everybody does it. Just, you know, eat ketchup. It's good. It works on everything. Just eat ketchup. <laughs> you know, the famous ketchup <laughs> condiment factor that yeah, everybody yeah, knows about. Chris, I mean, it's crazy Chris you're Milliani's even explaining it because we've heard right, it so I, many I times. Just for our listeners out there, I could see all of you just roll your eyes because you're like, here we go so again with times. the ketchup condiment factor, the thing oh, everybody yeah. knows about. <laughs> Mike never just shuts up about Mike Ketchup Burge over here. <laughs> I'm a condiment boy. Ketchup, I'm man. a condiment boy. <laughs> Sauce boy, if you will. Sauce boy. Mm-hmm. Oh, we never we never mentioned the hot sauce bit <laughs> in Butt Boy, but well, that is so, so great. great. I'm not going to say why, but man, I love that bit. <laughs> it's a good bit. So, Jeremy, I know, speaking of Butt Boy, that you might not have necessarily been that hot on Palm Springs, and I'd be curious to know to know why. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't dislike Palm Springs. I, I enjoyed it. It just... It just kind of ran right through me. Gotcha. You know, it, it's it's like a movie. It's like, oh, okay, I, I enjoyed that. And then I just haven't really thought about it uh, since, like, you know, I, I enjoyed the characters. I I enjoyed the, the setting. I enjoyed the premise. And I don't really disagree with anything that you're saying. It just didn't stick with me. Fair. As, as much as other films. This is the most respectful do. adult disagreement i have ever heard on a movie that was well, you know, I'm jeremy gonna... i'm gonna write down word for word what you just said I'm... and use that in the future every time i disagree with somebody that was great i'm kind of college educated in disagreeing with other people's movie opinions so it's true <laughs> well, there you go. look out everybody whoa oh, boy jeez louise say, all right saying, all right professor that's my, wow that's what my degree has been good for <laughs> But but yeah, it's just it's not all the humor landed for me. I thought Connor O'Malley was the funniest part of Palm Springs. I wish he was. Well, you know, you gotta love some Connor O'Malley. Of course, right? of course. Yeah. But yeah, I don't I don't disagree with anything that you're saying, and I get why it's been so revered. I just uh, it just did not stick with me as as much as other films this year had. Gotcha, and yeah, I I kind of agree with you that while I do find the film funny. I don't think I would quite bill it as a comedy if I were to like explain it to someone. Sure. 
I, I kind of agree with you. I don't think it's like laugh out loud, you know, falling off the couch. Funny. I got some good yucks for me while I was watching. Yeah, it. maybe maybe I was I was going into it with the expectation of something like Hot Rod or Pop Star. Right. I, I, I can, that I, is an unfortunate Star side effect of Sam Bird being <laughs> present because he's he's just now I think with his Brooklyn Nine Nine kind of stuff trying to break into the future of his career. He can't sure. be doing like dick and fart jokes for the rest of his life, and I think he he knows that in the same way kind of because we brought him up before Tim and Eric knew that they couldn't just be doing a mama jokes for the rest of their life. Like they had to figure out what the (laughs) you would disagree, but they wouldn't because they probably don't want to fucking do it either. But it's like, it's like figuring out where your next spot's going to go. And Andy Samberg is such a specific example in this because pop star is kind of like the last big thing that he did in that vein. And I would also argue that it's the best. Like I, like I think like that is peak Sandberg. Like he has perfected every, he's been working on everything that he was doing up until that point. And it's just like, he exploded and he's like, okay, I have to start doing something different now. So he's like, he's climbing back down the mountain. So we still have great things like Palm Springs and, you know, him showing up in like SNL digital shorts and stuff like that. But I think he's trying to get back down to something that's more sustainable for the rest of his career. Cause he's getting older and he can't really, he can't really be that guy. That's doesn't just lo- doesn't look like it. I'll tell you that that, that man is handsome. <laughs> yes. <He's> handsome. <laughs> I, 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 good. I guess theoretically Connor O'Malley being in this, in this movie was passing the torch. Oh, yeah. Aspect. He's he's like the next generation of that kind of humor. I mean, I feel like uh, I think that's an interesting point. And, you know, for me, I, I see Palm Springs as more of like a divergent path. And, and sure, you know, I, I think I do think Popstar is the best of that, like previous line of work. Like Popstar is I like Hot Rod more, but Popstar is better without a doubt. Like like Popstar is, is a better movie. They're, it's like, it's like peak that operating. Yes. On the same level. Yeah, whereas like Palm Springs to me kind of feels like can we can we make this thinking man's comedy, you know? And I really like that. And I, I, again, like I, I bring up Eurovision because I've seen it fairly recently, I, and I do think Eurovi- Eurovision has so much on its mind. You're gonna it's make me so cry good. right now just bringing it's up my so sweet Eurovision. Good. Yeah, Eurovision. <laughs> I had to, I had to drag made. Eurovision into the woods and put it to sleep. Yes. On my top yeah, twenty I feel, list, I and feel it you, sucked. Man. I feel and you. I hated it. <laughs> yeah, me too. I felt like Will Forte in that lamb Megan Fox skit that I watched for the first time yesterday, but is representative oh, of my entire life. <laughs> I have nightmares because of what I did to Eurovision. Oh, I agree. Though Eurovision was on the short list to hop on that top ten. <sighs> I thought about it, man. I, when I finished Eurovision, I was just like, I, I thought this movie was going to be so fucking One shitty. Of the- Best thing ever it. done. I loved Dan it. It's Stevens. great. It's like eating two chocolate bars all by yourself. Like you're not, you know, you're not supposed to eat two, but but it tastes so good and it's so much fun. And who cares if it's bad for you? Like I love it. Um, anything else on Palm Springs, ladies and gentlemen? Before we move on to our final film of the day. Woo. No. no. It's cool. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Jeremy. It is. It is cool. It is cool. It's a cool movie. And uh, talking about another cool movie starring a couple of cool dudes, uh, let's turn to like the coolest dude here, Jack. And why don't you talk about this cool movie that you want to talk about? 
Sure, I would love to. Yeah, I want to. It's it's good too. After we went from beanpole, to this is a great movie to end, end on a positive on. Yeah. note. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because uh, this, yeah, <laughs> most not excellent. Uh, this movie is uh, the movie I want to talk about is Bill and Ted Face the Music, um, which was a movie that I was very excited for, um, but had honestly very low expectations for. Um, just because, you know, when you do a third movie in a, in a, like a kind of a cult classic series that has not been around since the early nineties, uh, and you bring back those actors, it could go either way. You know, I think it could, this movie very much could have easily been not very good at all. Um, and I think I was pleasantly surprised by just how how good it made me feel um, and how how just positive and charming and and the way that it, it was able to kind of recapture that same magic that I think the first two movies have while still kind of being present um, and modern. Um, and, you know, I, I wrote about this a little bit in, in my, my list as well, but like obviously Keanu Reeves became uh, just – kind of a cultural icon more so in a way that I think he ever has been in his career within the last year or two. Just this, like he just has this like unanimous reverence um, that sort of came out of nowhere, I guess. He's a very Uh, different person than when he was making those original Bill and Ted movies. That too. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's done a lot of stuff. People are having sex with him in cyberpunk 2077. Yes. They, they they stopped that from happening, but they can never change. change We'll do it for the rest of our lives. (laughs) Once it's out there, once you open that box, you can't close it again. Once you Um, open Keanu's box. Yes. Uh, So, but yeah, I mean, I, I think they really against all odds, managed to just create a movie that just is most excellent and and feels really good to watch and was just really pleasant and funny and and yeah all those things it's an interesting uh point of view for me from this um you guys remember when we did the screenings over on bannerman island Mm -hmm. oh yeah oh yeah Uh, it's winter (laughs) <laughs> the guy Jim Morrison over there, who's a good buddy of mine now, who's a photographer, went to school with Alex Winter. Um, got Alex Winter to do uh, an introduction for our screening of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure over on Bannerman Island, which was really cool. Um, and when I first met uh, Jim, he was like, um, he was like, I'm gonna, I'm working on attempting to try and get Bill and Ted three off the ground. And I've been hearing John talk about that stuff for like years. And mm-hmm. it like I found out like it's a kind of like this. It's about this. I can't really talk about it too much, but it's like they do this. And I was like, oh, like alternate reality stuff. And he's like, yeah. And like I found out about that like two years ago uh, just mm-hmm. in like random conversation. So it really was fun. And I'm friends with him obviously on uh, – I'm friends with him on Facebook and social media. So as they were trying to raise awareness about what they were doing – they were it was crazy how quickly this movie came together behind the scenes from producers and everybody signing on to just want to be a part of it and actors signing on and taking massive pay cuts because they just wanted to be a part of the next big thing and yeah. it's nuts that like to see that kind of happen behind the scenes i think is something that everybody can tell as well like not being privy to that information as i was with john but like it's it just 
the movie is such a labor of love and Absolutely. respect for these characters that it's almost hard to be critical about it in any yes. negative way. It's really hard. I think I yeah, think Bill and Ted Face the Music has some uh, issues just like narratively, but none of those matter because it's exactly. fucking Bill and Ted three. We shouldn't yeah. have it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. You know, pick my tomatoes, as the old saying goes. Okay. This this is a, it's a it's a very it's... earnest little project that a lot of people who care about this very much, I think, made a lot of sacrifices and worked really hard to make it um happen and i think yeah again it's like this is not by far this these none of these lists are like the best movies of 2020 they're our favorites and bill and ted is like far away from the best movie of of 2020 but it's because of that 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 earnestness um and that kind of like scrappy sense it has and like alex winter is is just such a like his his online presence he's just such a like honest and nice dude like i have probably less than 100 followers on twitter but like if you if you tweet about bill and ted like alex winter will find your tweet and like it uh the bill and ted uh official account liked a tweet that i made yesterday about like my list and someone was like oh i gotta watch bill and ted and like the bill and ted uh account found it out and like liked it and it's just like that kind of small sort of uh scrappy nature of it but also just like the kind of universal positivity that's going on in this movie in a year where things were very much divided and 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 uh not positive in in pretty much every way possible like this movie is kind of just a a a a ray of sunshine i think yeah i'll I, i will say like my one critique like my one beef with the film is the storyline with the princesses because the idea of like Bill and Ted having marital problems at all is almost a little too grounded for like the Bill and Ted reality I have in my head. I'm like, they can't have problems with their wives. That's the whole point (laughs) is that it's like so silly and like everyone loves each other so much. And so, but I do. Oh, oh I was ahead, just go going to say, so like that was like almost like a little too grounded. Like it made me think a little bit too much for what I was wanting out of Bill and Ted Face the Music. But that's like a very minor gripe. And of course, it lends itself to the storyline of them trying to better their their circumstances to make sure that they don't lose their wives who they love very much. Yeah, I, I think that that's part of, part of why I think this movie works is because it's not just trying to be. It manages to be really positive and like uh, I think uplifting as a movie, but also like is not afraid to kind of consider the real world implications of what what like this movie is about. Bill and Ted getting older and knowing that they have the responsibility of writing the music that saves the world. And yet they're in their like late forties and they still haven't done it yet. And they're like, Oh dude, we gotta like, like that sort of like that expectation, like weighs on them in a very serious and real way. And the, and, and the fact that that them holding on to that dream, which is not even really a dream for them. It's like an expectation for them that driving a wedge in their marriage is I think like grounds these characters in a really like human way that they never really had to deal with any kind of like like difficulties before. And I think that's what that and also the way that 
you know, their children, their daughters are sort of like the passing of this torch. Like it's almost uh, 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 as much about Billy and Thea as it is about Bill and Ted, which also one of my favorite bits is how they kind of like write in like how at the end of Bogus Journey, they they absolutely were had like male children. But they just like there's I'm not gonna give it away, but they like they yeah they just put that in there like they it's address fantastic. it in a way that's like that's such a they're good literally bit. I it's, love that it's literally just like we can do whatever we want yeah, because we we're writing we this movie of course yeah and that's and, uh, I I think I agree with Burn too like with the but uh, like I agree with Burn but also with Jack like in the sense of like the the marriage trouble stuff like that's my one main criticism of the movie is I wish that they got a little bit darker in certain spots, but that's Mm -hmm. not what this movie's interested in. So I don't hold it against it. But one of the things that bogus journey is my favorite one, because I love how dark bogus journey gets. If you actually take a step back and (laughs) think about it, like they They die, they die (laughs) by evil versions of themselves that, um, to try to do very bad things to their girlfriends and every other Mm -hmm. aspect of their life. It's an insanely dark movie, but Bill and Ted has an attitude to it that just kind of makes it fun and watchable. And I was, I, I, that's the only thing that I left this movie. I wish that they had like a five minute real scene with the the princesses like we're gonna divorce you yeah. at the beginning that's almost kind of like you know the the teacher in the first one being like yo you're gonna get kicked out of school you're gonna fail history if you don't do this like something that's very serious but also just kind of laughable in like the attitude of everything bill and ted get divorced and, and i think that that's what they were trying to stay away from because Back in Bogus Journey and Excellent Adventure, you could get away with doing whatever you want with these characters mm-hmm. because they hadn't been solidified yet. Now these characters have been around for 30 years. You can't just fuck with – you can't just say Bill and Ted could be divorcees and just like have a fun time in the next scene. It kind of weighs on you, especially you know people like our age who a lot of us are, or a lot of people in our generation are children of divorce that grew up with Bill and Ted as like – role models like you don't want Mm -hmm. that's maybe just a little too much so i get why they did but i wish that they had gotten just a little bit more real with some of the stuff but again that's not what this movie wants to be and and more power to him for it it does feel like there was more that was intended with the princesses that might have been a victim to i don't know if it was budget or sort of the like post-production issues that they had because this movie was like kind of finalized when covid was already a thing um so i i I do wish there was like a little bit just a little bit more with the princesses there to kind of connect it all and bring it all together um but but it's also the same time again like going back to my kind of unofficial I heard about the plot of this years ago was alternate reality. Right. And that's not what this movie is, but you can there see is some you stuff can see, in there with the princesses. Like yes. you could see it going. They that changed. Like the first one was time travel. The second one was interdimensional. The third mm-hmm. one was supposed to be um, alternate realities and then changing time and going back and going through. And I think that you can see how they reformatted that into let's not fuck around here it's time travel. That's what people know about Bill and Ted. We'll keep a lot of the same stuff that we were going to do. Just make it time travel. They're going forward two years, well, and here's these alternate, alternate versions. Bill and Ted's, but yeah, it's you it's get time travel though. It's not alternate realities. It's they're changing into these people every three or three years, and that's that's what they're doing. 
I think that they were intending to, they're trying to change things in the now and jumping back in butterfly effect style. And they just kind of those things are maybe entangled on the quantum level. That might be more of a which (laughs) Bill and Ted plays with. And it's so funny that these two bonehead rockers (laughs) are are (laughs) quantumly entangled. It it seems like what you two are trying to get at is that this movie is very messy, and which which I can I can agree it is. And like it's messy and like it's trying to figure out one hundred percent what it's trying to be as it's going along. But it's so charming and positive and full of energy that that carries the movie in in a strong way. It becomes a plus. Definitely. You're just like, no, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm here for. It's fine. These are messy dudes. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're fuck ups. <laughs> yeah. you know? When something like happens that I'm like, <clears throat> I don't know if I agree with that. I'm like, well, that's just Bill and Ted, isn't it? That's just Bill and Ted. Yeah, yeah you're just <laughs> in it along for the ride. And like, this is a movie that like just the ending especially just made me feel like so warm and fuzzy inside and maybe shed a little tear, you know, and it was just like just nice. Yeah. And- just saving the world with some some good tunes. It's it's nice. And Kristen some Shaw, tasty jams, yeah. Kristen Shaw was a, like a welcome. She was also picking excellent. up of the yes. torch from George Carlin. Yeah, she did a great job. Yes. Seriously, can you you can't cast a better replacement for that? Like what a like just go to a different level, but also make it make sense. Great. And bringing William William Sadler back as Death was like, and saving that just for like the right moment was so good. Yeah. Actually, if I have one criticism with the movie, I think they misused Anthony Kerrigan's character sure. a little bit. I thought yeah. his bit got old very quickly. Oh, is he quickly. like Did the I, kill I bot? List, I list the, the robot. Yeah. 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 He, he's like, I, I'm I'm Dennis Caleb McCoy. Cool. Like, he said that maybe a few too many Agreed. times. Yeah, they, uh, for me. I feel like he had such potential, but then they were just like – we don't have time for you, dude. We have other stuff we need to do. And I was like, they give him a fair but, amount of time. They all just only give him one joke that doesn't play. Yeah. I think the entire time. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. Like that should have been like the criticisms... new death, the new Grim Reaper, like the new kind yes. of weird ancillary. We've all seen death in movies. We've all seen the future killer Terminator robot. Here's our twist on it. And they're like, yeah, we have two jokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. But again, all those things don't really matter because it still all just comes together in a way that I can ignore those little yeah. flaws. And we're gonna get another one. Don't worry about it. Yeah, we're gonna get. Do you know how much one, money though, this thing, thing made on VOD? Yeah. Like this movie made a lot of money. I know, but that is so antithetical of like the whole reason that I like this movie. Like I like this movie probably more because it shouldn't exist and it shouldn't be as good or True. work as well as it does. So for them to be like, oh well, we made a shit ton of money out of it, and then are making another one that like you get Bill and Ted sells out, and that's part of the narrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Unless this is uh the next one is just a billion and Thea. Hank oh, that would be cool. Fronting that. movie that I I'd could watch that get too. down with. Yeah, I watched um all three Bill and Ted movies in a row for the first time. Woo! Oh shit! This year. That's so, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I never. Here comes the cold takes from Jeremy. He didn't like this one I, either. I'm not saying I didn't like <laughs> Bill, Bill and Ted 3. I'm not saying that at all. I enjoyed uh, Bill and Ted 3 very much. But um, I, th- I think putting putting them, putting that one next to the other two so closely, I, didn't, I don't think it did it any 
favors. No, because I, I can't imagine. You need to have nostalgia. To be for fair, it. yeah, watching you need those to have three like in a row. I mean, watching I those three him, in a row is a lot time. of Bill I and gave, Ted. I gave him like a couple of weeks um, to breathe. But okay, what's your favorite one? Bogus Journey by far. Damn straight, motherfucker. Yeah, baby. That's right. Oh, oh, oh. Masterpiece. It's a masterpiece, it's right? Yeah. yeah. It's where yeah. it's at, There's something about the purity of the first movie that's untouchable. Very, it's I, very feel that. yeah, it's I feel that. I feel that. It's one of those things where it's like Godfather, Godfather Part 2 kind of stuff, where you're just mm. like, what do you want to talk about here? Like, they're both <laughs> amazing. Sure. Like, it's it just kind of comes down to, you know, Bogus Journey is doing shit that I don't think any other movie has ever done, <laughs> which I think is really it's crazy. Cool. I love Bogus Journey in the same way that I love, like, Gremlins 2 and like Dick Tracy yeah. and a lot of they, they just go for it. They go for it. In like the early 90s, like that, those blockbusters where they, they just threw shit at the wall. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, you got to admire that the risks they took with that one. But there's something about the first Bill and Ted where just like every single scene of the movie is a bit like they don't make movies like this anymore no, where it's just like bit after bit after bit. And for me, the first Bill and Ted, every single bit lands. Bogus Journey. Not as much, but they maybe go. They swing harder. So, so I'll I'll will say this about the third one: the the uh, the moments where they like call back to the first two movies didn't quite land as much for me. But the third movie's original ideas, such as Billy and Thea, and I I actually enjoyed the Killer Robot uh, quite a bit. Uh, the <laughs> it, the, mo- the third movie's original ideas uh, stuck with me a lot more, and I, and I enjoyed those very much so yeah that's that's my bill and ted jeremy gets the final word on all these movies <laughs> yeah that's it well he kicked us off so it's only right that True. he it's fair it's fair um so does anyone else have anything else to kind of spit we've been talking for a while um i'm sick of it uh yeah how about you guys be. it's been a good gab I'm done it's good gab good gab, good gab. Um, I'll get this out of the way. Uh, thank you listeners so much for watching. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. A five-star review on Apple stores actually really does a lot for us. So please just go over there and do that right now. That puts us right on the front page where a lot of people can see us. You can also visit us at storyscreenbeacon.com where you can see a bunch of cool videos and lists that we're doing for this year, as well as more articles, reviews, and other podcasts. Um, follow us on Twitter at story underscore screen and on Instagram at story underscore screen underscore beacon. And you can find us on Facebook at story screen beacon, New York. Got a logo going on over there, different communities on each one. We're still trying to build up our Twitter one. Go on over, have some fun. Talk to us about some movies. Tell us, tell us why, um, tell us why Jeremy's take on Bill and Ted's bogus journey is completely wrong. And, and we'll talk to you about it. Cause I don't agree with that. I think it's completely right, but you know, it, it happens. Talk, talk to us about it. And um, and that's it. Uh, I've been Mike Burge. Uh, Robbie, Bernadette, Jack, Jeremy, Diana, thank you so much for joining me. Mm-hmm. Uh, does anybody else have um, – this is it. This is the end of 2020. This is a rough year. <laughs> uh, I'm sure we'll be back in some kind of uh, very similar way like this uh, talking about Oscars in the next couple months. But this is kind of like the – this is usually the piece de resistance of our 2020 thing. This is coming out the day of the last of our lists post, uh, the day before our big video posts. I'm putting the finishing touches on that today and tomorrow. So 2020, huh? Not bad. 
We did it. Right? We got through it. <laughs> it's 2021 now. We're firmly in it. Yeah. Anybody watch any 2021 movies yet? New movies? I don't think I Yeah, have. I watched uh, Locked Down on HBO. It was at... It does not oh, sound like something. Oh, Annie She would tell. Edge you four. It was. She would tell Edge four. It was fine. <laughs> like <laughs> it looked fine. It looked like I'm a guy who loves Soderbergh, and I don't watch every Soderbergh movie that comes out. Is that I think it's Soderbergh. I, I, I can't think remember. Oh, uh, Doug Lehman. Yeah, there you go. Oh, that's that. Soderbergh is the Let Them Talk <laughs> with the Meryl Streep, which was meh. It was I watched it mostly because I got I was lucky enough to be able to go to London in 2019, October of 2019. And uh, I mainly watched it just so I could see Herod's again, to be honest. But it was okay. Cool. <laughs> cool, cool. Didn't we watch something that like just came out that wasn't allowed to be on our list because it it literally just it did just drop in 2021 was it uh tiny little things or whatever the little things the little things no i haven't watched that with jared leto with like that amazing forehead (laughs) (laughs) yeah morpheus (laughs) morpheus Um, I will not watch that. I could have sworn morbius Morbius? was it morbius no morbius morbius orpheus wrap it okay everybody thank you so much um thank you diana <laughs> and uh that's it bye, <laughs> bye. 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 thanks for listening